You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone, and welcome back to a new episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison, and I'm joined once again by my good friend Chris Kasky. How are you doing today, Chris? I'm doing well, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Um, yeah, the, uh, the the weather's taken a turn for the nice over here, but I understand you've been shoveling a bit of snow today. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't bad. It's nice yeah. and light and fluffy. It's, it's one of those pretty snow days where... And it's also Saturday, so who cares? So it's kind yeah. of the be- best of all worlds. I like I yeah. like the snow as long as I don't have to drive to work in it. Yeah, same same here, same here. Like if you can enjoy it from at home, I'm the same with rainstorms as well. Actually, I like I love a nice rainstorm as long as I'm not in it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No, today's today's good. I've got company coming over for horror movies this afternoon. We're gonna put some apple cinnamon tea on the on the pot and keep warm and. Have a nice lazy snow day afternoon, so it'll yeah, be good. Sounds sounds good to me. I got the the wife is uh, going out this evening, so I'm going to be finishing off uh, 428 Shibuya Scramble and doing my final write up of that, which I've been putting off for a few days because I don't know where this week's gone. <laughs> it I've has been one of those. One of those hasn't yeah, it? I've had, I've had one of those weeks where last weekend I thought I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna get ahead of schedule. I'm gonna I'm gonna do loads of stuff and it will all be ready. So I recorded the footage for 15 Atari A to Z videos, two episodes wow. of Sunday Driving, two episodes of Warriors Wednesday, two episodes of New Game Plus. So basically, at least two weeks worth of everything I'm doing on YouTube at the minute. And yet somehow I still haven't had any time in the week to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know what's happened. Either I'm, I'm terrible at time management or we've had some sort of time-space distortion this week, which is well, entirely possible. At least you've been productive and don't know where the time went. I'm on the other, like, I'm like, I've done nothing and I don't know where the time went. So That's not true. I did yeah. finish a new pixel art design this week that I'll be posting on Monday, so I'm excited about that. Excellent. But, uh, yeah, and I'm going full bore into sticker production now. So hopefully I'll be updating my shops very soon with with uh, some listings for for stickers of some of my original designs that'll be for sale. Excellent. And you said you're going to try and sell those at some cons as well, aren't you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have a table at a local anime convention in August, where so I'll have some of my paintings and some of my stickers, and also uh, buttons uh, of my some of my designs available for sale as well. Sweet. Well, keep an eye on MrGilderPixels.com for information and all that. Mm -hmm. Right, uh, shall we have a chat about the news? Because it's been a little while since we uh, we met, so there's a fair few things have happened since then, haven't we? I'm just looking back and seeing... It's dead, though. Like, I I spent a good hour last night scouring through things, and I haven't really found much worth talking about. I mean, we should get the big one out of the way, right? Which is Pokemon. Yep. 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 So, um, just an apology in advance to video users, but last time I put any Pokemon footage in this podcast, uh, I got copyright struck so hard that I couldn't, I couldn't like even, I couldn't even put the video up and have it monetized by someone else. They just went, no, no, you can't use any of our footage. So, I'm not going to put any Pokemon footage in this. There, there might be a screenshot if you're lucky. Uh, otherwise, we're just going to talk about it. So, please continue. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the big anniversary event for pokemon this week and part of the announcements was uh the new generation of pokemon has been announced pokemon Mm -hmm. sword and shield Um, yes besides the fact that it looks incredible of course the big thing for lifelong pokemon fans like yours truly is for the first time ever 
a proper series entry Pokemon RPG will be playable on your television without the use of any special adapters or accessories. Yes. This, yes, is, so a, this is, is a first. Yeah, that is one of the most exciting things about this, I think. And I know you sort of prob- probably structurally and things, it's, I, I imagine it's going to be fairly similar to, to how sort of the, the last couple of 3DS ones have worked. But just, just being able to have it on the television is going to be an interesting change for the series because it, it's something that people have been interested in for a long time but it, it was i don't know they, they i guess nintendo thought it was sort of fundamentally incompatible with the thing one of the things that people like on pokemon and the series has always prided itself on which is going out and about finding other people to play with and trade with and so on Precisely. i know that's yeah the, the thing i found with that is that any sort of big japanese franchise which has that kind of idea to it so things like monster hunter as well falls into this category as well the unfortunate thing is that that sort of philosophy still feels like a very japanese thing and it's like yeah, I, yeah. I i've never been anywhere in this country and sort of had even the remotest possibility of running into someone else who's playing pokemon or monster hunter or something like that it's it's something you would have to make a specific effort to do um but i guess with the with the age of the internet that's uh, a bit less of an issue now than mm-hmm. it once was so yeah so yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited for this actually. I I haven't been a huge Pokemon fan over the years. I played Pokemon Red when it first came out and uh Gold and then I played X or Y, one of those two and mm-hmm. didn't really enjoy it that much. Uh but then I played Moon and I really enjoyed that. So um yeah, I'm up for this. I'm up for giving this another go, particularly as it appears to be based in uh Britain or yes, the Pokemon yes. equivalent of Britain anyway. Uh, which is very exciting. So there's going to be Greg's pasty shops and Nando's everywhere, and uh, <laughs> yeah, people calling each other cheeky pricks and that sort of thing. So we can yeah. only hope. There's yeah, been I... a lot of uh, a lot of uh, British memes surrounding the um, the female protagonist in particular, who the internet seems to have decided is an angry Scottish woman <laughs> <laughs> because of her cardigan. Uh, because of a cardigan and because of the beret as well, that's quite a sort of Scottish mm. thing. And just just the idea of uh, of her going around calling, calling people cheeky tart and stuff like that is just, yeah. Oh, I, I saw uh, some fan art somebody did a little while ago, uh, yesterday afternoon. Of it was just like, uh, like the classic like trainer, like an enemy trainer appears, but it was just the queen with her two corgis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I also found it quite amusing that it took literally forty minutes for there to be pornography of oh, the yeah. female trainer. Yeah, no time. Forty at minutes. All. Yeah, it was amazing. I've, well, my my uh, my deviant art feed had stuff uh, had adult <laughs> content of the of the uh, the new starters already. So, <laughs> so that was... people seem to have decided that the that the bunny one is going to turn into some sort of hot woman. See, uh, I uh, like, I find the design very very like masculine of the bunny, hmm. so I don't really know where that's coming from. I mean, it might be just the way I'm interpreting it, but it has a very like, um, like like let's go like Japanese like young boy off on an adventure like vibe yeah, to its design. There's a touch of that. There's a touch of that, but also um, on the on the other side of things, look at a picture of the bunny, and then look at a picture of Akko from Little Witch Academia. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like okay. the, the mouth, the mouth in particular is identical. Yeah, uh, which, yeah, you're uh, right. Yeah, there is so. traditionally, not well, not traditionally, but in many of the generations, there has been one, especially in the last like three or four generations. There's been kind of one that's often the feminine one. Yeah, 
Um, and that's that's actually I think since Silver, I think since Generation Two, that's kind of been because I remember thinking like Chico Rita in Silver was just like the cutest little cute girl f- friend ever. <laughs> and then and then there was that that seal in the last generation. So yeah, it's possible, yeah. but none of these designs this time strike me as particularly feminine. Mm. Yeah, but, I li- I like them though. I mean, people have been given the. Um, the monkey thing a bit of shit but uh I, no he's I, cute I, yeah no I, I i like the designs of all of them um the little water thing who's crying is uh is pretty cute yeah and, that's gonna um, be what i go with i think yeah which is this will be the this will be the first time ever that i haven't went with the plant one first yeah. i'm always i always go with the grass type but yeah i i love that little tadpole dude so much <laughs> <laughs> nice all right. Well, anything else you want to say about Pokemon? For yeah, moment? just a. I did see the word "gym" in some of the announcements, so mm-hmm. it, it does appear that the traditional structure might be coming back. Yeah. Well, I mean, people have been sort of trying to interpret stuff from the um, the kind of map that they've shared, and it looks like there's going to be a, a fairly sort of obvious progression around the area, going from starting at the south end and heading up to the north, and sort of it. It looked a bit like there was. There was sort of a London equivalent in there as well, and that's going to be a major part of it. There's sure, there's always sig- a big city in the center. Yeah, it sounds like there's going to be some uh, several big cities in this one, from uh, from from what it sounds like. So, so what the other ones will be based on remains to be seen. But uh, yeah, there's, def- there's definitely a, a London analog in there, and um, yeah, there's sort of a snowy, re- snowy mountainous region and sort of rolling foothills and that sort of thing. So, yeah, should be nice. Can't wait. Yeah, looking forward to that, definitely. Uh, so I'm sure we'll be hearing some more on that over the coming months. All right, what else you got for us? Not a whole heck of a lot. I mean, the, the Nintendo Direct um, had a lot of really cool stuff. Um, I mm-hmm. think most notably for me is uh, Astral Chain. Oh, yes. Which is the yes. new joint from Platinum. Mm. Um, so I think we were probably all pretty weirded out and disappointed when we found out that Platinum was no longer working on that Grand Blue game. Yeah. Um, so it was nice pretty soon after that disappointing news to get a shot of a, a new project that they are working on. Um, yes. So Astral Chain looks really cool. Um, don't know too much about exactly what it is or how it plays, but it appears to be a futuristic action game, which is uh, pure platinum, right? Where you play as some kind of futuristic police force with these mm-hmm. kind of mecha companions that you summon. Yes. And uh, the, there appears to be a very specific mechanic surrounding kind of using these like laser chains to like bind and like tie enemies or like pull at them. Yeah. Um, which is cool. Um, I, I really like mechanics like that. It, it almost made me um, reminisce about Pandora's Tower a little oh, bit. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yeah, so it looks like in this there's, there's some sort of uh, cooperative mechanic with those as well because I've seen sort of the, the two protagonists being chained together and stuff as well. So presumably there's going to be some clever stuff you can do with that as well. Yeah, so new action game from Platinum. Uh, there's cool robots involved, so I'm super there as if I wasn't going to be there already. So that's exciting. Yep, definitely. Um, also from that Nintendo Direct, we got another new game announcement from um, the Tokyo RPG Factory, the people behind I Am Setsuna and Lost Sphere. Yes. Uh, Onenaki, which is this time around a action RPG. 
Um, and people who worked on the original Chrono Trigger are working on it. Yes. Um, yeah, so I, ha- I, haven't seen people t- I haven't seen people really talking about this that much, but I really like the look of this when uh, yeah, when me it came too. up. Me too. Um, it, it's got a really lovely sort of distinctive art style with sort of... Uh, it's got sort of really high contrast, dark and light colours and... Um, a sort of cell shaded look going on in a kind of dark atmosphere with it. Yeah, it looks it looks like it's going to be a really interesting one, and with the uh, with the talent attached to it, I'm definitely intrigued to see what's uh, what's going on with this. Yeah, the Tokyo RPG Factory people people are really like just weird and consistently lukewarm on their games. Mm. Like the, none, like Lost Sphere and I Am Setsuna, neither really got a huge reception. But I, I think they're both very cool games, and yeah. um, maybe people are just over that kind of like super traditional approach to design. But it, it, that's what they're going for specifically, and they nail it every time. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's I'm very excited to see they're continuing to put stuff out. Yeah, definitely. Um, I still haven't played either of those two, actually. I, ke- I keep seeing a second-hand copy of Lost Fear in my local um, CEX that no one ever seems to want to buy, so I, I might actually bite on that. At some oh, point. you should you should grab that. That was limited press. That mm, was o- that yeah. was only available from Square directly. Oh, so, okay. So yeah, I might that, have to see if they've still got that then. Yeah, that's not a, not easy. That was not released in stores. That was not released to any other retailer. It was only pre it was pre order only from Square Enix's website. Yeah. So, um, and I am Setsuna. The Switch version of that, the Japanese version, does contain full English. Oh, that's cool. So, if you want to have it physically, you can import the Japanese version, and you get the the full English versions on the cart. Yeah, which that's is great. Cool. Yeah. Um, side note as well, unrelated to this as well, the the Switch version of Ace Attorney Trilogy from Japan also has full English text in it as well. Oh, sweet. So if you want, so if you want a physical version of that, uh, import the Japanese version. I was trying um, to figure out if that was going to be the case, but I couldn't find anything yeah. on it. So that, that's yeah, great so news. It, so it has been for sort of all, all the previous DS versions were dual language anyway as well, even the Japanese releases of those. Um, and... Um, yeah, it seems that this one is the same as well. So the the, the Japanese physical version, because we're getting it digital only over here. Um, yeah, that has English text in it. So if you want it on your shelf, then you can. Which is nice. Marvelous. Uh, okay, what else we got? Um, so we've had another look at Ease Nine. Um, mm-hmm. It's got three new playable playable characters, and we had a, a bit of a look at the setting as well. Um, so it's mostly mostly sort of screenshots and stuff at the moment and and concept art but uh, yeah it's it's looking consistent with what we've heard so far this sort of moody atmosphere going on we've got um a nice sense of contrast between the the characters and the backgrounds i think that i quite like so you've got these really nicely colorful characters and then the backgrounds are sort of fairly drab so they they really stand out in the foreground and that's that's quite a nice look that i'm quite fond of mm-hmm. me too um, um Verticality. Um, I read a thing today that uh, verticality is becoming a really important part of the stage design for this game, which is not ver- something we've had in East before. There's going to be a lot of upward mobility and movement, and um, stages are kind of going to be designed with, you know, moving upward or going downward, kind of uh, as part of the, your progression. Yeah. So that's cool because East has always kind of been a very flat thing. <laughs> traditionally yeah. well i am um, they they kind of experimented with 3d a bit in the sort of um the, the, the three games around the sort of e6 era so there was a bit of 3d platforming in those from isometric perspective and and stuff particularly i right. think e's origin was quite good at it 
because uh, that had um, Ease Origin. I, I, I say has got some of the best underwater stages I've played because they they're really nicely designed and the controls don't suck and. Uh, they were really nicely 3D, sort of lots of navigating around and that kind of thing. But yeah, it's nice to see this in a sort of full 3D environment rather than the sort of isometric 3D environment we had in those ones. So it's a, a nice evolution. But yeah, you're right. The last the last few Ease games have been quite 2D in the way they've played. Yeah. Uh, dis- yeah. Despite those sort of beautifully rendered worlds, they're, they're still very much sort of run around and hit things and stay on the ground for a, a lot of it. Which is fine, but um, it's yeah. nice to shake things up a bit every so often. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I think is interesting is in, in discussions with the developers and stuff, they just keep emphasizing that the, the night aspect of the game is super important yeah. and that, that it's also going to affect gameplay in a way that they haven't really been willing to talk about yet. My my wild conjecture right now is that there's going to be some kind of like wear form yeah. thing going on. Like, like maybe uh, Adel and the other characters all have like some kind of like transformation to like a more powerful form that can happen at night or something. Yeah. Like, well, we've got we've got one of the characters who um, has got ears and a tail, so mm-hmm. there's there's already a sort of sort of vaguely beast like character in there. So that that may well be something to do with it. So yeah, I mean it's all conjecture at the minute, but yeah, definitely that would that would be an interesting thing to explore. Certainly. Um, yeah, I reckon wear things, or maybe vampires, or something, or maybe both. You never know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, they've they've said that like the, the like the a horror overall theme is like a big part of the design in this one. Yeah, so that would all fit in quite well. Yeah. All right. What else have we got to talk about? Rune Factory Five. Oh yes, also, yes. I was just also in that. the Nintendo Direct. Um, yes. So they the, are doing. They're doing a re-release of Rune Factory Four first, aren't they? Which was 3DS, yes. mm-hmm. uh, which is which is cool because uh, no one played that, and apparently a lot more people should play that, according to people I've spoken to who love it. Yeah, it's quite um, a good game. Yeah, but uh, people are really excited about Rune Factory Five because, as I recall, this, the the stories that the people behind Rune Factory, the, the actual developer, d- didn't they close down or something after Rune Factory Four? Yeah, we thought we were never going to get a Rune Factory again. Yeah, yeah. So we thought there was never going to be another Rune Factory Five game, and uh, well, there is. So there you go. <laughs> um, don't think there's a lot of details on Five yet, is there? No, just um, that it exists. <laughs> Yeah, here's, here's the thing. It's gonna happen. It's real. Yeah, so it's not. It's and, enough and, for me. Yeah, and that's cool. I, I'm interested to play in four as well because the the Switch version has got some enhancements. I think hasn't it? Yes, it's, it's obviously got nicer graphics, but I think it's got some extra sort of scenarios and characters and stuff in yeah. there as well. So yeah. I'm gonna pass, but on yeah. the remake of four, just because four is already such a massive game. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I have the DS one, but yeah, when five happens, I'm so on top of that. Yeah. Yeah, Rune Factory is a series that I I've been interested in for a really long time and have somehow never actually played any of them. I, I've got the the one that's on PS3, which is oh three, yeah, I think isn't it? Yeah, um, or or maybe in a, a version of three. I think there were several versions of that, and I, I haven't got around to playing that yet. But that's that's one that I'll have to dig up at some point. Um, four I haven't touched at all, but I I remember when that came out, a lot of people were really happy with it. So um, yeah, be good for that to get a new lease on life. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great series. Just a yeah. charming, friendly. You know, we we often talk about like feel good games, mm-hmm. and and how important those are in the grand scheme of of things. And it doesn't get more like feel good than Rune Factory. Everything's just pastel, and everybody's smiling, and <laughs> it's just it's just so cozy to to sit and play. Yes. 
Okay, uh, what else we got? Uh, so a little while ago, P-Cube, who have been uh, localizing a lot of Japanese stuff recently, uh, well, for the last few years now, actually, but um, yeah, they finally announced that they are, they're doing their first ever own IP now. Oh, cool. uh, which is a, uh, it's a visual novel called Kotodama, The Seven Mysteries of Fujisawa. Uh, so they're working with a Japanese company called Art Company Limited. Um, and it is apparently um, turning the high, classic high school story on its head with a brand new universe where absolutely nothing is as it seems. So um, from what I can make out so far, because uh, they just sort of teased it a bit so far. From from what I can make out so far, it sounds a little bit like, um, in terms of tone, what they've done with uh, Song of Memories, which was their recently released one, in that you've got sort of half of the game is sort of um, standard high school shenanigans, and then the other half is sort of dark as shit and full of weird stuff going on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that sounds so, so out of place for a visual novel. That never happens. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so so here's the pitch from P-Cube. So, uh, having enrolled as a transfer student, everything feels pleasantly familiar. The pupils are friendly, the staff attentive. All the ingredients for a successful academic career. But you're not here for a quiet life. Having made a pact with Monchan, a sarcastic demon fox, you wield the power of Kotodama, a means of coercing the truth from those who seek to lie to you. It's not a power to be used lightly. Tasked with infiltrating the secretive Fujisawa Academy, it soon becomes apparent that uncovering the sinister goings-on behind a seemingly normal facade may give you more than you bargained for. So yeah, I'm I'm well up for this. Um, looks interesting. It's got uh, it's got a nice distinctive art style about it. So yeah, I'll be keeping an eye on that. And it's it's good to see PQ moving into um, sort of publishing its own stuff as well as as well as just localizing things as well. They've they've been doing pretty well recently. So. It's, uh, it's good to see them being able to move into this side of things as well. Yeah, it's it's been really interesting to watch um, that kind of evolution happen all over the place, right? Like, um, you know, I'm yeah. a big... We've talked in a previous episode about how uh, how cool Nicholas is. Yes. And now they're doing similar stuff, right? They, they, their success with publication has been so good that now they're involved in kind of developing and, and, and publishing their own stuff. Yes. Is, it's been really cool to see. You know their involvement with Blade Strangers and this uh, this puzzle game they're putting out, uh, Crystal yes. Crisis, I think it's called. Yes, yeah, manga game has been the same as well. So the the, the visual novel publishers, so they they've been putting out. Um, or, I can't remember if it's out yet, but they they've certainly been working on their own IP along with the Japanese studio as well. So uh, again, as well as just localizing their own stuff, they're actually publishing things as well. So. Yeah, it's um, it's an evolution that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of these studios seem to be going for, which is cool. Uh, what else we got? Uh, we have a release date for Atelier Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can't I can't pronounce any Atelier names properly. I, I was going to say they're all ridiculous. Um, I'm still yeah. not quite sure the correct way to pronounce Atelier. Yeah. <laughs> is it Atelier? Is it Atelier? Should I pronounce the R? I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Anyway, the new Atelier game um, that is coming on May the 24th uh, to PS4, Steam, and Switch. So that is on the way. I think you can pre-order a nice limited edition from uh, from Nisa now. So when uh, is Nelky supposed to come out? Um, I don't know actually. Let me I just, thought that uh, one was supposed to come out first, but May I seems pretty it was as well. Let's have a look. Atelier Nelki release date. Oh, 26th of March. So that's this month. Oh, they're really banging those out one after the other. I, I, you'd think they'd give that more of a gap. 
Yeah. Well, I, th I think what they're going for is Nelky is sort of like series fan service for people who've played all of them, whereas Lulu Rose, although it's the fourth entry in the Arlen trilogy, um, <laughs> it is uh, it is going to be maybe a bit more accessible. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Well, um, interestingly enough, Nelky I'm interested in getting, and I haven't played an Atelier game since Iris on the PS2, but yeah. this, this Nelky seems to be the one that's going to be really just open and goofy and like less pressure. Maybe I've got that the wrong way around. Then maybe Nelky is the one that they're that they're hoping people will sort of come on board with. Because I mean, it, it, although it's got the name Atelier in the title, it's not Atelier Nelky. It's Nelky and the Legendary Alchemists. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe it's that way around. Maybe they they they're hoping for that, and then Lulua will be um, for people who've who've played the whole Ireland series and want to see what the the next step is. So either way, Lulua is out on May the twenty fourth, and Nelky is out on twenty sixth of March. So. Watch out for those. Um, oh, got a story that I don't know how you'll feel about. Um, uh -oh. Depa Department Heaven's back. Um, yeah. With uh, with Igdra Union uh, re-releasing mm -hmm. it for, uh, for for mobile. Yeah, well, it's just a, it's a it's a mobile port of a game I already own. So yeah. And now if if the if the news was Department Heaven is returning with a brand new entry exclusively for mobile, <laughs> we'd, we'd be having yeah. different. But yes, please, more people play Igdra Union because it's mm -hmm. goddamn amazing. Yes. Uh, so currently, there's only a Japanese version have been has been announced for this, but there there does seem to be English text in the in the teaser that they've put out so far. Um, and so, yeah, so you, you should be able to play that. Uh, that is due for release in spring 2019. So keep an eye out for that if you've not had a chance to play those before. I've not played those before. I, I would prefer to play the, the original versions rather than uh, play on, on mobile. Although the mobile version will support controllers, apparently. So if you, um, oh, if you have the means of connecting a controller to your to your phone then uh, yeah well if um, you have a psp tv right i mean a yes. Vita tv yeah, yeah. so ideally uh download the the psp versions on your vita tv yeah yeah because i think you can get all four department heaven games on the psp hmm. yeah mm -hmm. yeah you can because yeah. that's, oh, that's it's Ri riviera igdra union knights in the nightmare and oh boy gungnir and yes. they're yeah they're all on the PSP. Ideally, you should play Knights in the Nightmare on the DS, but yes, but really, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, so uh, last thing I want to cover, I think, um, talking to the Vita, Sony has officially ended production of the Vita in Japan. So raise your glasses, please. Mm -hmm. End of an era. Finally, not that people have uh, sort of done it any favors over the years really but uh yeah all the people saying oh vita is dead uh well you're finally going to be right so well done <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be interesting to keep an eye on like limited run and strictly limited and stuff and see what the last titles they'll be trickling out is i know i still have a couple vita games on pre-order over at limited run yes yeah uh, I think I've got one as well, actually. I can't remember what it is offhand, but uh, yeah, one I've been waiting for for a while. But I know that they they had to do a bit of a rejig a little while back with some of the yeah. beta releases, just because there there weren't enough cartridges to do everything. So yeah, I think we may well run into that situation a few times before uh, before the end finally comes. But uh, yeah, if you want to want to collect Vita stuff, now's probably a good time to to start thinking about doing it. Yeah, yeah, before prices start going nuts. Yeah, definitely. 
All right. Anything else you want to cover? Yeah, I just wanted to mention quick that um, for those of you who missed out on the Kingdom Hearts story so far bundle back in October, like I did, because I was a dumb dumb, ah, and yes. I, I was a dumb dumb, and I sat on it, and I didn't realize it was a limited press thing, mm-hmm. uh, and then. When Kingdom Hearts 3 dropped and like everyone had Kingdom Hearts fever, I was trying to get a copy of it and it was going for like, <laughs> it was going for like 80 to $100. Yeah. Um, so Square realized there was demand and they're going to be doing a reprinting in US and Canada and, um, also it's going to come out now in, uh, other territories. It was, it was a US and Canada only launch. Mm-hmm. So now it's going to be released in PAL territories as well. Ah, oh, finally. Uh, also, right after I just picked up the PS3 versions. <laughs> Never well, mind. They, they were cheap, so, you know, yeah, and, yeah. you know, I, I doubt there's a huge amount of benefit in getting the PS4 versions over the PS3 versions, so. Just that it's, um, just that it's in one case, Just that it's really. all in one place, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's good. Uh, I have now picked up all of the Kingdom Hearts games across the, the two PS3 releases, the 2.8 release on PS4, and I also picked up the... The one DS game that they only put the cutscenes in um, for one of those releases as well. The three three fifty eight over two days, right, I think. Right, um, right. Because I, I do want to actually give that a go as a game as well, so rather than just watching its cutscenes. So. There was another one too, Coded. I don't think Coded is playable. Um, in the- I, I thought it was. I thought they, they, they redid it as Recoded, I think. Um, oh, Recoded? Okay, that makes sense. Dream Drop Distance is remastered. So Chain of Memories, Dream Drop Distance... And right, recoded. Okay, are all yeah. good. So it's so, it's so, just that that one for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't um, convert that for some reason. But uh, well, there we go. Maybe there was stuff that they it, maybe there was stuff that was specific to the um, the DS stuff. Uh, yeah, that's sort of very the, possible. The screen layout, I think. So um, yeah, just looking at the Wikipedia yeah, article, I can't really uh, see can't really see what's what's there but yeah i've got all of those now so i i'm i'm going to try and cover those at some point but uh exactly but yeah how yeah. is the question at the minute because it's a big <laughs> a big whole series but yeah uh, yeah it's huge but yeah i just thought this was worth mentioning because mm-hmm. uh, if like me you like to have games for historical purposes mm-hmm. i mean i don't know what the price in um your territory will be but in the u.s and canada the uh, u.s it's 39.99 it's an oh, incredible it's an incredible yeah. value yeah so because that so because that pack is is all of the all of the previous releases isn't it so it's 1.5 2.5 and 2.8 isn't it yeah yeah it's just two discs it's not yeah. it's not even different it's just the same discs you would have bought if you bought those separately packaged in one case yes with yes. a different cover so yeah. But it's great. Uh, you can't beat that for forty bucks. You could play those games for a year. Yes, yes, absolutely. So, all right, great. Is that everything now? Yeah, I think so. Marvelous. All right, let's take a short break then, and then we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about what we've been playing recently. So, see you in a moment. A key that opens the hearts of entire worlds and allows one to obtain anything and everything. that is strong and true shall win the Keyblade. Riku! Kingdom Hearts, fill me with the power of darkness. Those creatures that attacked you are after the Keyblade. But it's your heart they really want. You think you can defeat me? The true darkness! 
Welcome back. So, in our second segment, we're going to talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. There's uh, one game we've both been playing quite a lot. Uh, I think we'll save that for the end of this discussion. So, yeah. before you jump into the game I'm referring to, Chris, uh, is there anything else you've been playing recently? Uh, I have had a little bit of time to experiment with Battle Chef Brigade. Oh, yes. Yes, tell me. Which is quite delightful. Um, so, Battle Chef Brigade is a... Uh, kind of hybrid game which is great because i love combining different genres um so the whole basis of the game is around kind of paying tribute to and celebrating how much fun it is to watch iron chef Mm -hmm. so it's basically the concept of iron chef uh chefs battling to produce a meal to please judges um set in a anime fantasy setting Mm -hmm. um so the way it plays out is you are in this versus battle with another chef and then you it's a side scroller so you actually have to go to the left hand side or the right hand side of the kitchen which will lead you into the wilderness and then you actually have to like hunt monsters and plants and gather the materials necessary to cook the meal <laughs> awesome. So you're get, you're given the meal and you're told like, oh, I, I want a meal that contains these types of flavors, these types of ingredients. So then you have to go and then it's, an, it's a really good action side scroller. Um, oh, nice. So you have, um, you know, a jump, you have, you, you have jump, you have a t- an attack button and you have like a magic attack button. Um, mm-hmm. And then almost like Smash Brothers style, you can modify the, the spells you use with the magic attack button by holding different directions. Okay. Um, and then the attacks are all fairly context sensitive too. So you can jump. Then if you jump, hold down and press attack, you'll do like a downward jab. So it's got a really reactive, good combat system. Um, yep. The whole thing is 100% hand-drawn. Nice. Uh, this is beautiful, beautiful animation. And um, I was actually worried that the game was going to have that kind of unpleasant effect we've talked about before in previous episodes where um, there's so much attention paid to the animation that it doesn't feel like it plays responsively enough. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I'm happy to say that that is not the case at all. The, the, combat, oh, the combat's really snappy. Um, what you want to do happens immediately. There's no wind-ups with... Um, you know labored animations um it's all great so once you're done with your action you go back to the kitchen with your gathered ingredients and then you cook and then the cooking happens in the form of a match three puzzler (laughs) so you throw your ingredients in the pot and then underneath your cooking counter the cooking counter has the match three puzzler on the front of the counter and then you then you move the ingredients around to combine them um to produce um basically all ingredients have um kind of elements they're like spicy earthy refreshing or whatever Uh, Mm -hmm. and those appear on the match three puzzle part of the game as colored orbs naturally um by fusing those colored orbs by matching three of them you basically increase the presence of that element in the dish yeah. So the like the judges will say to you like I want a dish that has this kind of animal meat in it and I want it to be very earthy. Mm-hmm. So you have to balance between finding those ingredients and performing correctly in the puzzle game in order to create a meal that best satisfies those requirements within the time limit. Yeah. Um and that's Battle Chef Brigade. 
And there's a story mode with a charming little town you can explore, um, and there's shops you can go into, and all the characters are super like sweet and cute and have really really well written dialogue. It, it's nice. just a, it's just an absolute delight to play. It's 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 one of those games where you just you can feel how much love was put into it, like as soon yeah. as you engage with it. Yeah. That's cool. This is this is one you picked up in a limited run form, wasn't it? Yes, yes, right? it was. Yes, um, yeah, so it's usually digital only, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but um, it is one of the games that limited run uh, worked out a distribution deal with Best Buy. So, oh, okay. so if you're in the states and potentially Canada, I don't know, but uh, if you're in my neck of the woods, you may be able to grab a copy at Best Buy as well. Cool. That's good to hear. Yeah, it's uh, always always nice when these uh, these games get a little bit more appreciation. I I always feel like a physical release is sort of acknowledging a game a bit more than maybe just a digital release. I know maybe that's a funny way of looking at it, but no, it's uh, true. Yeah. It's very much yeah. like a, a feeling of like congratulations, you've got there. Yeah, like I mean, obviously I can't think for other people, but I just finally received my copy of uh, Dust and Elysian Tale mm-hmm. for the Switch, and like when I held it in my hand yesterday. All I could think of is like a Dean Dodrill, the creator of Dust. Um, you know, I've bought this game. This is the third time I've bought Dust. I've bought it on. <laughs> I bought it on Steam. I bought it on the PS4. This, I love this game. But holding yeah. that physical copy in my hand, the first thing that went through my head is like, how must Dean Dodrill feel to be able to hold a physical yeah. copy of this thing he crafted? Yeah. Like, it's cool when the, the indie games get the physical release. Yeah, that must be pretty amazing. Um, yeah, talk, talking of physical stuff, I actually got my my copy of the Grisaya Complete Box this week. Oh yes, uh, which is a Kickstarter reward I've been waiting for for I think several years now. Yeah, so uh, that finally arrived this week, and it's got um, yeah, really nice package. So it's got one section at the front that's got all the game DVDs. So it's got uh, it's got the three main visual novels there, but it's also got the side stories and stuff in there as well. So it's got the uh, like the 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 two games where Michiru is a, is a, a magical girl idol. It's got the um, the sort of uh, I think there's two or three sets of uh, little short stories for them. Um, then it's got some some drama CDs that you can download videos with subtitled versions of them, so you can actually enjoy them and listen to them at the same time. Oh, that's cool. Um, there's soundtrack CDs. I don't think it has the anime in there, but it, it does have uh, like all the soundtrack CDs. It's got a gorgeous art book um and um some sort of collectible bits and pieces in there as well so yeah it's a really lovely package and again that one there i i've i've just had um digital versions of grisaya up until this point so again to be able to hold that in my hand and it's it's a really heavy substantial box as well it's it's just yes it's here finally (laughs) (laughs) yeah so that's that's always cool um okay so what have i been playing um well those who have been reading moegamer.net will know that the current cover game at the time of recording is 428 shibuya scramble um so i at the time of recording i'm just trying to polish off the last bit of of bonus content in that before i write about it because oh my god there's a lot of bonus content in this game um you don't tend to think about a visual novel as having a post game but this absolutely does (laughs) <laughs> so um you've got uh you've got a normal ending and a true ending in this game uh I, I somehow managed to accidentally stumble into the true ending along the way which is something i never do in this kind of game yeah so yeah rare. i 
yeah i actually stumbled into the true ending first time around which was cool um when you when you get the true ending in this game you unlock a scenario that involves a character who's been mentioned a lot throughout the game but uh you don't actually see at any point until sort of the last few seconds of the true ending um but this this bonus scenario explores this character uh and her past and where she came from um but the interesting thing about this bonus scenario is that it was completely handled by type moon uh, the fake stay night people oh wow uh and uh what that means is rather than using the the photographic style of the rest of 428 shibuya scramble it's all done in uh visual novel style artwork oh that's bizarre yeah, uh, and it, and it's voiced as well. The rest of, the rest of the of the game isn't voiced as well. So this is this was obviously developed as almost like its own separate game. So using the same basic engine and stuff, but uh, presented completely differently. And yeah, it's really interesting to to see um, a studio like Type Moon get acknowledged by uh, sort of a larger publisher like Spike Jones often brought on board to contribute to a project as ambitious as, as Shibuya Scramble was and. Uh, yeah, the scenario is really, really interesting and compelling as well. Uh, so you get that if you beat the true ending. If you get the normal ending, you unlock another scenario that, again, involves a character that's been mentioned a lot but hasn't, didn't take an active part in the main story. Uh, so it's the, uh, the sister of one of the main characters who is uh, hospital-bound with a heart condition. So you get to see her story and what's going on with her while everything else is unfolding in the, in the rest of the story. So there's those two. Um... There is um, what they call the 428 pop quiz, uh, which asks you a series of 11 questions about the game and the story. Uh, and this isn't so some namby-pamby multiple choice <laughs> quiz. Oh, no, 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 no. No, this asks you things and then expects you to type in the answer. Um, and the questions include things like, uh, what, is the, what is the diameter of the Ua virus in nanometers? Um, <laughs> which is 100, by the way, if you're wondering. Um and also things like sort of remembering pet names for people and what division of the police a certain minor character was involved in and that sort of thing. And every one of those questions you answer correctly it unlocks a, uh, what it calls a special episode, uh, which is a short story about uh, some of the characters that you would have run into over the course of the main story. But again, they weren't main characters. So there's, there's um, like a, a couple of recurring Yakuza thugs who mm. appear at several points in the story. And their special episode you sort of get to see how they meet and that, uh, how they met in the first place and that sort of thing uh there's the owner of uh, of a noodle shop who is sort of well renowned for her curry noodles and so on you get to see how she became so good at making curry noodles and so on and there's 22 of those all together the first 11 of those you can unlock by um by answering these quiz questions correctly but every one of those you read it gives you a hint at the end of it and says Go back to the main story and read this chapter and just just see if you see anything unusual in the scene. Um, and what it does then is it starts it starts plopping little secret codes into the photographs for those scenes. So you oh, have to wow. sit and you have to sit and wait for the photograph to pan over or zoom out to a particular point. And you'll see a button combination hidden on screen somewhere, and you then have to put that button combination in to see this next episode. So there's that. Um, then there's a whole scenario. I, I, I really love this actually there's a character in the game called uh, Archie who is like a, a street punk but he's very sort of environmentally minded um, and like he's introduced to us he's wearing this t-shirt with this mascot character called Mean Clean on it so it's like a recycling thing and it's got a really angry looking plastic bottle on the front of it and the angry plastic bottle is Mean Clean now about halfway through your story um, with no explanation 
Mean Clean disappears from his T-shirt. And no one mentions this. No no one mentions this at all. And like I spotted it straight away. And I was like, why is his T-shirt different? He hasn't changed his clothes. But no, Mean Clean is no longer on his T-shirt. And the reason for that is because Mean Clean has escaped his T-shirt and is going on his own quest around Shibuya to rid the world of the uh, of the prime mass of rubbish which is threatening to explode and destroy all of Tokyo. Um, and so if you find the right combination of little tips in the game, you can, you can discover that story and watch it for yourself. Oh, wow. <laughs> And when you finish that, you then get this charming little 8-bit platform game starring Mean Clean in which he has to trap uh, bits of rubbish in um, indoors. So, because everything in 428 Shibuya Scramble, now correct me if I'm wrong, is a photograph, mm-hmm. the Mean Clean scenario is just like photographs of a bottle with a face on it no the the mean clean scenario is like is like it takes it takes black and white photographs as the background and then it's just horrendously badly drawn cartoon things over the top of it oh sweet. right 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 up until the last scene um where just the last scene it just it just shows um just a photograph of some rubbish lying on the ground and, and sort of the thing is oh shibuya is full of stories that you might not see with the naked eye things are going all all around you and we're just happy that we've had the opportunity to finally tell our story and it's just like this discarded juice box and a the cap off a, a water bottle and an old coffee can just lying on the ground <laughs> it just pans out away from it it's like this really emotional moment and you're like oh my god um yeah so that that was bizarre um there's i think two more um little scenarios that i i need to discover in this way there's apparently a conspiracy scenario and a true conspiracy co- scenario uh, that i haven't unlocked yet as well as the rest of those special episodes so after we're done recording here today i'm going to be working through those and then writing a bit about those but yeah the the amount of stuff in this game beyond the main story is just incredible um even just things like hunting down all the bad endings there's 85 bad endings altogether oh, um, and and in order to to get some of the bonus content, you need to get certain numbers of the bad endings. So uh, to get the um, the scenario of the Achi sister, you need to have got fifty bad endings. So and I, th- and I think there's something you get if you get all eighty five as well. And there's trophies for finding all of them. Then and the, the the trophy for for getting all of the bad endings is just called the worst is over. <laughs> 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 which is yeah. which is exactly how you're feeling at the end just because some of those bad endings are really quite traumatic um but yeah this it's i i, I understand why this is such a well-regarded game now because it's just such a a complete package of, of really it's a really well-written visual novel from the start but it's got it it knows how to have a bit of fun with it as well so it's, it's not playing it completely straight all the way through That's but at the same time it doesn't it doesn't lean so hard on the comedy that it kind of diminishes the the impact and the meaning of what is going on in the rest of the story as well it's just i mean kind of kind of the whole point of it is like shibuya is this place there's stuff going on everywhere we're going to show you some of it and some of it is going to relate to each other some of it is going to be completely irrelevant here you go enjoy it and yeah it just captures that feeling really really well yeah this game sounds really 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 neat (laughs) yeah yeah it's 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 so cool i i really like it um so that's pretty much everything that i've been playing up until now i was going to try and give death end request a try before um before i started covering it but i've not had time to do that unfortunately so hopefully by the next time uh we convene to speak about this i'll be able to talk about that a little bit more yeah i'm really uh, looking the... forward to hearing about that one yes i'm very looking forward to to playing this as well it's uh, one i've one i've had my eye on for a long time now so 
Uh, all right, so and the other thing I know we've both been playing then is Dynasty Warriors Eight. So let's let's hear what you've got to say about this. Mm, it's good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't know. I don't know what else to say really. Um, I've always loved Muso games, and we talk about them a lot. We've talked about them a lot here, um, yeah. especially when we celebrated how good Hyrule Warriors was. But I haven't played a proper Romance of the Three Kingdoms era China warriors game since four on the ps2 yeah so i really had no idea of kind of the evolutions that the series had made and kind of Mm -hmm. where where things had matured to um so it's just been delightful to kind of uncover what modern dynasty warriors was like before they decided to take an open world for nine yeah um you know this so eight's kind of the last traditional china dynasty warriors mm-hmm. um and it's just f- so full of wonderful wonderful mechanics and things to do and i've been playing it for a month now and, I, and i'm nowhere close to being like satisfied with yeah progressing my characters collecting weapons uh the, the way the stories progress um um, alternate routes that open up depending on different uh, conditions you satisfy can lead to different story scenarios to introducing other characters uh, a character you really like might die in the actual historical route but the but you can find a way to save them which then creates a branching history path to, to, to a new hypothetical way that things could go which is less tragic it's just really 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 cool mm. and I'm just loving loving going back and doing this um i've you know i've always loved these characters um so it's been really cool uh, to find a way for guan yu not to die <laughs> and uh, it, it's just been great I, I'm, I'm loving it yeah yeah I, I, i've been the same i i haven't really played a, a dynasty warriors seriously for 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 quite some time i think probably probably about the same for me four or five was probably the last one that i really actively engaged with i've sort of touched on a few over the years but those would have been the last ones that I, I seriously engaged with outside of sort of spin-off games like uh, like Hyrule Warriors and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but yeah, I've been really enjoying this and uh, I've mentioned a few times how much um, I found myself actually interested in caring about the story and the characters in this. Me uh, too, not... and I n- never have in prior Dynasty yeah. Warriors games. Yeah, I mean, I've always thought their something... designs were cool, but I've never really yeah. loved them as characters and cared about the story. Yeah. But I, I think the the thing I like about what Eight does with its story is it, it, it sort of it sort of has that that clear demarcation between the sort of historical story and the personal stories as well. So mm-hmm. like all the all the historical stuff goes on from that overview map, and you sort of you sort of get a feel for what's going on in the big picture. But then most missions tend to start with a sort of cutscene that involves the different characters, and you see how they interact with each other and how they how their relationships are and that sort of thing. And yeah it just makes them all seem a lot more human and a lot more interesting um and when you get into some of the some of the bonus scenarios as well some of the extreme legend scenarios there's some really fun stuff going on in there as well as in the uh in the woo campaign the last extreme legends campaign is basically all of them getting drunk and arguing over who is the best commander and then um and then you have to have this big sort of run the gauntlet affair where you're doing these ridiculous challenges and in an attempt to prove that yes you are the best commander (laughs) (laughs) oh those rowdy rowdy woo bros yeah 
but yeah it's uh, it's fun um I, i've just started dipping my toes into ambition mode as well which is sort of the big more abstract game mode that's less story based mm-hmm. and more based on mechanics i know you've been looking at that as well so yeah i'm 50 50 split on ambition mode um mm-hmm. what i do so ambition mode really what it feels like to me is dynasty warriors attempt to make a monster hunter kind of thing yeah so so what you have is your base that you're always working on building with new with new facilities emerging as you progress that unlock different things so you have a blacksmith which you then level up by investing materials in the higher his level the more things he can do for you you have yeah. a, 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 a cookery uh, I forget like what, what they call it. it's like a kitchen and yeah. she and she can cook for you which gives you buffs for the stages you get a barracks where you can send soldiers out to gather materials while you're adventuring and when you get back from your lab from a level they will have acquired new rewards for you this is all monster hunter stuff this is all yeah. wholesale from monster hunters village management um, stuff and then you go out and you do missions um, in the world, the missions take place on the regular um, stage maps from story mode, just adapted with different officers or different scenarios plugged in, which are kind of randomly generated. Um, yeah. and, and you have to choose what kind of missions you want to do. From uh, There's materials gathering missions that help you build your bases. There's fame gathering missions, um, which help, which give you unique challenges to conquer which increases your fame which better fame in turn um helps you gain more access to new facilities and things within your camp Mm -hmm. um and then you get new officers Uh, there's missions that specifically are for recruiting officers in ambition mode if you defeat an officer you recruit them to your side um officers do two things the more officers you have the more facilities become available for your camp. And also those officers can be, if they're just the random, like kind of non-playable officers, they can be equipped as bodyguards, which can also be leveled up with unique skills. Mm -hmm. Um, If they are the playable officers, like the classic dynasty warriors characters, you get them and you can also then play them in ambition mode. Once they join Mm -hmm. your camp, Um, what I can actually bring them along as bodyguards as well, which is quite cool. Yeah, but it takes a long time to build up enough of the resource yeah, yeah. to equip yeah. them. Like I'm lo- my my main character that I like to play with Shing Sai. I just got her to level fifty, and I still don't have enough of the resource to even equip one playable character as a bodyguard. This is one thing it doesn't explain very well. Is so in order to equip the bodyguards, you need this stat called leadership. Yeah, uh, which which is a separate level from your experience level. Yep. The only way you can level that up is by issuing orders to your bodyguards. So what you need to do to level up leadership is you need to take, take along a bunch of crap bodyguards and get them all to do their special action because that's worth loads of leadership experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, let them do that and you will romp through the leadership levels then and you'll be able to equip the the good bodyguards in in no time with that so that's 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 a slight grind there that it doesn't explain very well but um yeah yeah, you you, you can get around it quite easily and that's the key word to what i don't like about ambition mode is it's just a grind yeah yeah and there's real there's really once you've played a couple of the missions they're they're really repetitive and really the only thing that's interesting about it is the escalating challenge yeah um so one of the big things is that 
the idea is to play consecutive missions. So you leave the camp, and as long as you don't return to camp, each consecutive mission you do um, is higher difficulty for greater rewards. It just mm-hmm. scales upward gradually. So really just challenging yourself to see how many consecutive missions you can do is kind of the meat of it. But yeah. really, the the missions are quite boring, and they're all yeah. the same. And the the time constraints are very brutal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard... Um, most of the time I fail running more than five or six consecutive missions, not because I got killed, but because I timed out. Yeah. Because um, yeah. you start with eight minutes, I believe, mm-hmm. and, th- and each consecutive mission you don't get a new clock. Um, and the only way to get more time is either to defeat an officer, which only adds 30 seconds to the clock, and yeah. it takes me more than 30 seconds to clobber an officer, d- depending, on, <laughs> depending on how powerful they are and what kind of weapons I have equipped. Um, and um, one of the special skills your bodyguards can have um, can add time to the clock. Yes, yeah. Um, but with only those two methods, it becomes very easy to run those eight minutes into the ground. Yeah, so I, I have no idea how people are, are hitting the hundred consecutive missions necessary <laughs> to unlock the elephant mount. Yeah. So I, I think the intention with ambition mode is that you sort of play it alongside grinding through the story mode because the story mode is the main way you do stuff like unlock the cool weapons and stuff for them yeah. on the higher difficulties. So I, I kind of feel like ambition mode is is, is this sort of complementary mode almost because there's certain things you can only do in ambition mode. Like mm-hmm. upgrading the blacksmith is the only way you can get the weapon fusion thing, yeah. which is your, your your means of customizing weapons and attaching and upgrading various abilities to those. So the only way you can do that is through ambition mode. But there's there's no sort of obligation to finish ambition mode if you want to, but it is worth engaging with every so often just to just to sort of get you to a point where you can do some of those interesting mechanics. And and I mean there is an end game and end goal to it if you want to, but I feel like the more interesting stuff in in the game is is in the various story modes and completing those on the higher objectives and f- uh, figuring out the conditions to get the various weapons and yeah. so on. So it is the only way to get the better mounts. Yes. I think. I don't think the mounts drop in the other modes. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I could be wrong, but I've never I've never gotten a, a new horse from story mode, even playing yeah. on the higher difficulties. Yeah. So, because um, then you unlock the shop, and the shop can sell you mounts, too. You can buy. And the mounts have skills, too. So there's a whole loot game with that with the mounts involved as well. Yes. As, as well as mounts, they're sort of companion animals as well. One of the things that the, the Nintendo Switch version, which I've been playing, um, is the Definitive Edition. So that comes with all the all the DLC from the previous versions. Uh, and one of the bits of DLC you got with that is uh, like a uh, it's like a sort of nine-tailed fox type thing that follows you around and occasionally gives you buffs and stuff. So, uh, yeah, there are sort of companion animals you can get as well. But, again, I haven't seen those drop yet. Uh, so I'm not sure if they only drop in ambition mode or if they yeah. only drop in high difficulty. Yeah. I have or a wolf, but they... yeah, but I I don't like it because you you have to choose a mount or a pet. Oh really? Yeah. Uh. So uh, you can't possibly win without a horse. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like any of the, the time, <laughs> like any of the time specific stuff, I don't think is possible to. Because there's only one equipment slot for animal, right? And it's either a mount or a pet. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't imagine ever winning in a story mode mission without the horse. Uh, like yeah. every, every every objective would just be over before I could run to it. 
Well, I mean, you still get a horse even if you haven't got one equipped, don't you? There's like, uh, I think each character has a, a different horse that they can use. I think just the ones you can equip are just slightly better. Oh, is that way. is that the way it works? I, I, I haven't so, experimented yeah. with the pets yet. I yeah, just... I, I I believe that's that's the way the mounts work. So each of the main characters has their their, their sort of their sort of iconic horse, if you like, that they that they have equipped. When you hold down the cool horse button, it will just show up. But then if you equip a new one, you could like override that with like saying getting red hair or something like that. Um, so my, my I, favorite again, I, thing is to be in the middle of a building on like the second floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and call my horse. <laughs> and I, just, and I just turn around and the horse is there. It's like, hey, hey, buddy, how'd you get here? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It reminds me of The Witcher in a few places where like you could call your horse in that, and he'd like come scrambling over a, a cottage roof to come and see you, and stuff like that. <laughs> so good. So, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Dynasty Warriors Eight is very much a good time, and the Nintendo Switch port is really good as well. So if you've uh, been interested in that, like the the only thing I'm slightly unhappy about with the Nintendo Switch version is that there's no physical version as always. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it, it is it is a very good value package. Um, mm -hmm. So if uh, if you enjoy Muso, and especially if you enjoy Muso on the go, and you either don't want to play Hyrule Warriors or you've you're fed up with Hyrule Warriors, then that's definitely a good investment for you. So check it out yeah i'm very much hoping we get that um special anniversary package for samurai warriors for yes yes that would be good that um, would be good i haven't played a samurai warriors game since the first one uh -huh. so so it's uh, i'm long overdue to check in with that crew again because there's some really <laughs> neat new character designs that have happened over the past three games yeah yeah and then there's all the archie games to play as well so mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I, I think I'm, uh, I think I worked it out the other day. I think I'm 29 episodes deep in Warriors Orochi so far. The first one, just oh, wow. the first one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've said this many times, but like you could only play Muso. Oh yeah. yeah if you yeah, if absolutely. you want if you wanted to, you could just live a life, and the only games you played were Muso games, <laughs> because like I was having such a good time playing Dynasty Warriors Eight that uh, a couple weeks ago that uh, Warriors All Stars went on sale at Best Buy for like 15 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I was like, uh, I didn't think this game looked good enough for 60 bucks, but for $15, I will see what it's like to play as Opuna in a Muso game. Like, <laughs> so so I, did, I did grab it, but then when I got my copy home, I was like, uh, I could play Dynasty Warriors 8 for like six more months before I even need to think about touching yeah. this. Yeah, well, th th this is the thing. I, I, I've, I've been really enjoying playing through Orochi, and so I'm, I'm going to try and finish it. And then the, the other Warriors games that I've got on my shelf will keep me in videos and written content for a good decade or so. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. so. <laughs> so, yeah, please look forward to that. I might carry, cover Warriors Orochi in about 10 years' time. Warriors Orochi <laughs> 4. Yeah, I'm, I'm holding. I decided to hold out for a complete edition of four because it always happens. Three got yes, one. Three got yeah. an ultimate. Um, well, three got about three different releases altogether. I think in the end because it is out. Yeah, I had a hyper version and an ultimate version and all sorts. So, yeah. Well then, so that is Dynasty Warriors Eight. Anything else been on your plate lately? No, I got a pile of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've just been buying and buying and buying, which is really not great but what are you gonna do so ho yeah. hopefully between this episode and next episode i'll finally get a chance to check out rabbi ribby i, I finally oh, got yes, my limited yes. run copy of uh, rabbi ribby in um 
So that'll be good. Um, I'd also, as I mentioned, I, I just got Dust on the Switch, so I'll probably mm-hmm. play that a little bit and want to talk about it again soon because I, I really think that's a great game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of people are, like that a lot. It's not one I've ever played, but I know it's one that people have really enjoyed over the years. And so, yeah, Rabbi Ribby's a good time as well. I've I've only played a bit of that, but I really enjoyed what I played. So it's got a lovely art style and fun music and some really interesting mechanics in there so yeah, yeah the music's quite good uh, my copy came with a soundtrack and I, I ripped it and listened to it right away and i oh that's cool it's like there's one or two tracks on it that have just kind of become my go-to over the past yeah. week it's got like a really chill upbeat vibe it's kind of nice relaxing music which i wasn't expecting yeah yeah but the, the, the whole thing has got this sort of interesting kind of weird dreamlike atmosphere going on with it so yeah that 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 sounds entirely appropriate yeah that makes perfect sense but uh yeah you'll you'll see when you get to it and uh lovely lovely artwork in there especially if you like bunny girls (laughs) and who doesn't exactly all right let's take a break there then and then we'll come back and we'll talk about our main topic for today so see you in a moment and bless your name and house. I've taken control of this area. Come forth. I shall teach you a thing or two about that. Welcome back. For today's main topic, we thought we'd just have a enthusiastic gush session about uh, horizontally scrolling shoot 'em ups. Um, we thought we'd specifically limit it to horizontally scrolling shoot 'em ups because if we did, just did all shoot 'em ups, then we'd be here all day. We'll mm-hmm. probably be here for a, quite a while anyway, just talking about this sort of subdivision of them. But uh, yeah, we thought we'd, we thought we'd limit ourselves today. I think what it's safe to thought- say we could have a dedicated podcast about vertical shoot 'em ups. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> also, we're not going to get too far into sort of specific series today because uh, series like Gradius, Darius, R-Type, all that sort of thing, we could probably devote an entire episode today. So we're going to be giving a sort of general overview of our experiences with the genre today, uh, some things that we recall from older games and some of the things you might want to check out from more recent releases as well. So, um, Chris, this episode was your idea, so why why don't you, you kick off our discussion? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I've always actually preferred horizontal shoot-em-ups. Mm, um, me too. Uh, not that I don't love vertical shoot-em-ups too, right? Like, I've got a million of them. Love them. Um, but I've always preferred the horizontal ones. Um, and I think, to me, it's because they've always, had a, they've always had a slightly more deliberate pacing to them. Yes. Which yes. has, as a person who um, primarily likes to play games as a way of engaging with art... Um, as much as I like uh, vertical shoot 'em ups, I feel like most horizontal shoot 'em ups give me a. I can enjoy the environments more, the enemy designs more, just yeah. because the pacing is is a bit more scaled back. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this today was because you had posted such an enthusiastic review of uh, Devil Engine. Oh, that game's so good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. You want to start off uh, with? You telling everybody about why Devil Engine is so good? Because well, I'm sure, really curious. Yeah. It looks so cool. Yeah, well, I mean, Devil Engine is a, a game that's been put out by Dangan Entertainment recently. Uh, it's actually Western developed, but it's it, it's very, very, very 
heavily inspired by 32-bit games, particularly sort of Saturn games and so on. So it's got this absolutely gorgeous pixel art style, uh, and it's been done by pixel artists who understand what pixel art is supposed to do, um, if you know what I mean. So it's not pixel art for the sake of pixel art. It is pixel art doing what it is supposed to do so working within specific constraints to create a particular effect so you've got all sorts of lovely graphical effects in there uh you've got lots of sort of color dithering and stuff going on that looks really nice and just the whole experience just really captures the feel of those 32-bit shooters perfectly it's got a wonderful soundtrack by someone who contributed to the thunder force series who actually uh, he actually dropped by mario gamer and left me a nice comment on my blog the other day so that's that's very nice oh i did see um, that yeah yeah, so I was very happy about that. Um, but yeah, it's it, it it's in terms of what it's doing, it's it's basically not doing anything especially remarkable or innovative or anything. But what it's doing, it's doing it so so well. It's it's just an absolutely fantastic, beautifully presented, really fluidly moving, uh, smoothly scrolling, really well structured horizontally scrolling shoot them up so it's it's making use of a sort of vaguely raiden-esque uh, power-up system so you've got the three different colors of, uh, of weapons and they each handle in different ways uh, but having that weapon system from a side-on perspective gives you a slightly different twist on it um, you've got this burst mechanic where you can sort of counter bullets away from you um, but then you have to sort of uh, balance that with your combo system so you build up your multiplier combo by blasting enemies and so on and then the higher that is the larger your burst can be so the more bullets you can counter and if you counter enough bullets with a burst at the same time then you can build your combo meter back up to where it was and possibly even beyond and so on so there's some really interesting mechanics at work in there and it's it, it just flows really nicely looks great sounds great if you yeah if if you enjoy shoot 'em ups you need to play this game yeah it, does that work for does that work for you <laughs> it does it does well i i think you know it's cool that you mentioned uh, that that one of the musical composers worked on thunder force as a series because um I always thought visually, um, you know, way back when I'd seen the original trailers for the game, mm-hmm. um, just the entire vibe, the the physicality, yeah. the way, the the pacing, the movement, the enemy patterns, all really reminded me of Thunder Force. It it's kinda, very Thunder Force, yeah. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I think there's one level that looks very much like a homage to the, you know, the water level in Thunder Force Four. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. There's one. There's one level that looks very much like it's a deliberate homage to that. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so that's a, that's I mean that's a series we could do a little lip service to for sure. Um, mm. I know you've got you've even got some experience with the Thunder Force games, right? Yeah, Thunder Force three and four are actually some of the earliest games I ever played on the Mega Drive. Yeah, um, Thunder yeah. Force three specifically. Uh, I remember that was that was my first encounter with. I, I still don't know what this effect is called, but the the bendy background effect that you saw in a lot of Mega Drive games. Oh, the, in the fire level, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the first time I saw that, I was like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, well, those That's games amazing. really pushed the Genesis slash Mega Drive to its knees. I, Thunder mm. Thunder Force um, Four, in specific, it's just a massive technical achievement on the Genesis. Yes, the yeah. amount of things on screen, the amount of the amount of individual sprites that compose some of like the massive bosses um like mm-hmm. you said that that iconic water level has so many levels of parallax scrolling going on at the same time it's one yes. of those it's one of those games that appears to be doing things that the genesis slash mega drive was not supposed to be able to do in the first place <laughs> so yeah. it's always one of the first games i play um uh when i get a new tv 
Like yeah. <laughs> Thunder Force yeah. Four is always one of the first <laughs> games I play. <laughs> When I got yeah. my my newest TV, uh, the first thing I did was hook up my uh, my Retron Five and put Thunder Force Four in, and, and just oh, see that see that water level and massive sixty five inches. Fantastic, yeah. There's a really lovely port of Thunder Force Four for Switch now as well. In the oh part yeah, of the Sega, it's part of the Sega Ages collection. It's yeah, it's a lovely port. So if you don't have access to hardware or a Mega Drive cartridge or emulation or something like that, that's a really nice way to play it. And of course, you can take that on the go with you as well. So Thunder Force in your pocket, kind of. Mm, do you like <laughs> yeah, yeah it's just one of those series that I, I feel like people in the know know about it but like mm-hmm. uh, but like i had to be introduced to thunder force like in yeah. my in my 20s like i had never just happened to never come across it and i had been a fan of horizontal shooters for most of my life like as a kid yeah. growing up i always yeah. loved gradius always loved r type um another game i'll touch on um you know since we're in the the vein of the genesis and the mega drive is a Gyaries, which is an one of my all-time favorite games mm-hmm. um and i had that growing up as a kid but i somehow managed to escape thunder force entirely so like yeah. when, a, when a very good friend of mine introduced me to it i was just obsessed like ever yeah. ever since it's it's really just quintessentially like in terms of presentation and bombast and atmosphere and feeling just some of the best the genre has to offer yeah definitely definitely now i've had um sort of I don't want to call it a rocky relationship with shoot 'em ups over the years, but certainly um, in sort of the early days, I, I had quite mixed feelings about them, to be honest, because they were very much a mainstay of the 8 bit computer era that I grew up with. So um, if you've been following my Atari A to Z series uh, on YouTube, you'll know that um, sort of there's, there's a lot of horizontally and vertically scrolling shoot 'em ups on the Atari 8 bit. And in fact, some of the earliest examples of both are available on the atari 8-bit so i was familiar with the genre from a very early age um most of the games in that period were very heavily inspired by scramble mm, yeah um, well the whole genre right scramble is one of like, yeah. the, like the games yeah so so i mean a lot of the games in in that atari 8-bit era they they were basically cloning scramble so they weren't really trying to do anything super new or anything they were cloning either, either scramble or um what was a helicopter one called? Uh, Super Super Cobra was it? Mm, I don't know. I, I Something don't think like I know that. the game. Um, but yeah, so so it was basically the idea of navigating your way through a perilous environment, usually caverns of some sort, uh, destroying both things that were flying in the sky and bombing ground installations as well perhaps with some sort of fuel mechanic in there that you had to bomb fuel dumps to get extra fuel and so on and so, so there, there were a lot of these games in the ab computer era is, is the main thing and after a while a lot of uh, a lot of people and a lot of games magazines in particular started to get a bit cynical about them so we were seeing so many of these games that sort of a shoot 'em up became a bit of a sense of oh another shoot 'em up it's not really something i need to pay attention to and so that kind of meant that throughout the 16-bit computer era uh the atari st um i didn't pay a huge amount of attention to the genre really uh i came to console gaming quite late uh, sort of part way through the super nes era and so i didn't really pay a lot of attention to a lot of shoot 'em ups until much later so um I do remember one very striking example was uh, the first time my brother came home from his work on a magazine called uh, Games X at the time, which is a weekly computer magazine he was working on at the time. He brought uh, a Super Famicom home with him, 
And one of the games he brought with him at that time was the Darius game on Super Famicom. Oh, okay. Uh, Darius I Twin, I think. Darius Twin, that's the one, yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I remember that that was the moment that I thought, oh, I've been, I've been missing out on something here. Because <laughs> Darius Twin on Super Famicom, the, the, it made everyone who saw it in my household react the same way, which was, have you just hooked up an arcade machine to our television? <laughs> it was it was that impressive at the time it was so far beyond what we had seen on the 8-bit computers and the 16-bit computers at that point it was such a step onwards and, and, and i mean part of that was jumping from computer to dedicated gaming hardware but mm-hmm. yeah so so that was a significant moment but that said i i do want to go back to some of these earlier games because there, there are there were some good games in there and as i say we did get a bit cynical about them at one point but there were some great games that are worth checking out if you're interested in the history of the genre so um on atari a to z i've mentioned uh, the original caverns of mars before which was one of the first vertically scrolling shoot 'em ups that existed um its sequel caverns of mars 2 uh was a very early example of a horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up so uh again following the scramble mold the caverns of mars 2 is quite interesting in that each uh each level you played it had several distinct phases to it so you had a sequence where you'd be flying through some caverns then you'd have a city segment which uh there were sort of tall buildings at the bottom of the screen so you had to fly very high and there there wasn't as much space to maneuver around sort of like rockets and things firing at you and so on and so that was that was quite interesting it gave you a real sense of actually going on a journey and as you said at the beginning it's sort of focusing on the environments and things as much as as actually mm-hmm. shooting things um there was another game on the 8-bit called the tale of beta Lyrae, which was by a company called datasoft uh and this was uh noteworthy for a few reasons this was uh, uh one of the earliest games i remember seeing that had an intro sequence um, oh cool so let me i'm very fond of intro sequences yeah uh, and so this was the atari 8-bit doing doing it uh i'm just just checking who was actually behind it um because i i don't want to i don't want to tell you the wrong thing but Mm. i have a feeling it was uh it was by a bloke who also went on to yes it was so it was by a guy called philip price um with a musician called gary gilbertson and the pair of those would later go on to make uh, a role-playing game called alternate reality which i've uh, gushed about in the past a few times um but one of the things they really like to do is that they like to do these intro sequences where they put what the the game was in context uh, in sort of narrative context and they would do that with with song um now obviously the atari abia sound chip wasn't up to doing digitized sound to the degree that you could have someone singing so they did the next best thing they basically did this sort of karaoke intro where the there would be this chipping music and there would be the lyrics coming up on screen and um it would sort of highlight the words in the lyrics as the music was playing okay and the and the taylor beta lyrae was one of the earliest examples of them using this technique to sort of put the put the game in context and give you a feel of, of what was going on um, the game itself was a fairly standard sort of scramble clone, um, but just just this sort of additional sense of context at the beginning gave it a real, really interesting feel to it. It, get, it really gave it a, a feeling that there was a certain amount of meaning there, mm-hmm. um, and so that's that's well worth checking out again if you're if you're interested in the um, in the history of the genre. So, as far as I'm aware, that was um, that was exclusive to Atari 8-bit, so it's not terribly well known. 
Um, but it is it is well worth checking out if you have the opportunity. It will probably show up on Atari A to Z at some point, so watch out for that. Um, so what was what was you think was your earliest encounter with the genre? You know, as a kid, um, you know my relationship with these games originally was rocky as well a little bit not but mm-hmm. not because i you know was oversaturated with them or had you know felt cynical towards them but because they just would like make me cry because <laughs> they were because <laughs> they were hard yeah. it's like yeah. when i was you know when i was a kid um there was a pretty solid rule in my house that like they would not be purchased yeah, like because I was always super drawn to them because of the the art, like the you know the cool sci-fi art on the boxes yeah. and the graphics I would see on the back. So you know I would always ask for these games for holidays or gifts or whatever, and my parents w- would just refuse to buy me spaceship shooting games because. I would play them for like 15 minutes and then like throw a temper tantrum and then then like never play them again. But I always wanted to play them because they were so cool. Uh, So like when I think back to like my earliest like love of horizontal shooters, I think back to a game on the NES called Barai Fighter. Mm -hmm. Um, And because Barai Fighter has (laughs) in my head when I think of like cover art, just like one of the most iconic cover arts ever. And it's just this like dude in like an astronaut uniform with like a rocket pack, like blasting at like a Chinese dragon. Like none of it makes sense. And it's beautiful. (laughs) Um, So Barai fighter is by kid um, Mm -hmm. who was kind of this weird off beat third party developer for the NES slash Famicom and they have a bit of a cult following. Um they're quite famous for making um uh one of the the, the good G.I. Joe side scrollers. Okay. Um on the NES. They also did Low G Man, which has a bit of a cult following. Yeah. Um but they did <clears throat> this game Barai Fighter and what really stands out about it is, first of all, you weren't a ship. You were like a, you were this astronaut dude in a rocket pack with a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a big emphasis on environmental navigation in this game. Like the, the, yes. envi- the environmental hazards were, were very, very big, uh, narrow corridors and, and like just platforms jutting out to get in your way that could kill you. Um, which is something that is pretty unique to horizontal shooters. It's not yes, something definitely. you, Certain vertical shooters do it, but it's very rare. Vertical mm-hmm. shooters are almost entirely about uh, bullet and enemy patterns and score chasing. Um, yep. So it's one of the reasons I've always preferred horizontal shooters is because it's much more common for the environment itself to be an enemy to you. Um, yeah. And Burai Fighter was also unique because it was one of the games where you could you could shoot both ways. Okay. You yep. could actually shoot behind you, which I just remember that always, always sticking out to me was the ability to shoot in more than one direction, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, other games have done very well too. Um, I'm also a big fan of Capcom's, uh, sidearms, which is a very yeah. similar concept. But yeah, uh, one of the earliest games I can remember playing was, um, was Barai Fighter. Also on the, um, on the NES was the NES version of, uh, salamander which was called a life force in the in the states yes um and that that's technically part of the gradius series but uh, i just very vividly remember the 
the the first level being like set in the internal organs and like the the <laughs> giant like the giant like veiny spikes coming out of the walls to kill you and the, yeah. the mu- and the music just being ace and mm. there's just something so immediately satisfying about the arcadiness and the raw gameplay of a of a shooter yeah and I, and I think that's why I always come back to them yeah yeah I've I've got a few good early examples like that as well that I still like to come back to even though in some cases I'm still just as terrible at them as I was when I first played them so oh yeah um one good example I could think of, uh, again, on the Atari 8-bit, was uh, actually quite a late release. Um, it was called Zybex. Okay. Uh, this it also came out on the Commodore 64 as well, I think. The Commodore 64 version is slightly better graphically and in terms of music, but the 8-bit version is still very good. Um, this was actually a budget release by a company called Zeppelin Games, uh, who put out sort of cassette-based games for like $2.99. Um, but, and they surprised everyone with this game because this game turned out to be amazing. It was a, a, an immensely solid, uh, horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up, um, quite inspired by Gradius in some ways. Um, it had uh, s- some interesting mechanics to it. So, um, I've mentioned on the Atari A to Z series that the the these old computers, the joysticks that we had, they only had one button on them. And so that made it quite tricky to have multiple functions that you might want to trigger in the middle of, um, mm-hmm. say, shoot 'em up or something like that. So in games like Defender and stuff, for example, you'd often find uh, things like the smart bomb button would be on the space bar of the keyboard, for example. But that would mean you'd have to take your hand off the joystick to be able to trigger that sort of thing. Um, what Zybex did was really interesting in that it um, it did uh, complete auto fire. So it, you were constantly firing. You didn't have to press the fire button to fire mm. at all. Um, and what you had instead is the fire button would switch between these several different weapons. I think there were like five or six different weapons you could collect as you went through. Oh, cool. And there was a, there was a kind of risk and reward thing going on. Uh, because you, you started with like this basic sort of bullet that just went out in front of you. And if you collected further versions of that bullet, the, the, the pattern of bullets you would fire at would get more intense. There'd be more bullets firing out at a faster speed in front of you. Uh, then there was like there was like a multi-directional one. There was like a railgun that would pass through enemies rather than being destroyed by them and that sort of thing. So there were several different types of weapon. And the way the risk and reward thing would work is that uh, when you died, you would lose a level from the weapon you were currently using. But oh, all, the okay. others, all of the others would stay as they were. Um, and so you could basically stock up on a favorite weapon if you wanted to and, and make use of that. But if you died while you were using that, you would you would lose that. You would downgrade it. And uh, in the case of everything other than the basic bullet weapon, if you lost... Uh, the level one of that weapon, you would lose it completely, so you wouldn't be able to use it anymore until you picked it up again. So, oh, okay. Um, so that, that was a really nice, interesting mechanic there, and different weapons were useful in different situations for different types of enemies. Again, there were lots of environmental hazards. There were some sort of enemies that you couldn't you, you couldn't destroy. You just had to avoid them. Uh, there were sort of rotating things that you'd have to uh, pass through it with the right timing and so on. It was just a really interesting game. Uh, it was an absolutely incredibly difficult game, uh, but it was yeah, it was a game I, I really love playing even today. Still, uh, it had a simultaneous two-player mode as well, which was quite unusual at the time uh, for this sort of game. Anyway, uh, it had great music, really nice graphics, and and just a really cool atmosphere to it as well. So that's one that I really liked. Um, two more that I want to bring up as well are two games that were published by Signosis on the Atari ST, mm. uh, and they were actually developed by DMA Design. Uh, who would go on to make Lemmings and then subsequently Grand Theft Auto. Um, 
they these were uh there was menace first of all which was heavily inspired by r-type uh in that it had sort of uh, kind of kind of a cross between r-type and gradius i guess uh mm-hmm. because there was sort of organic environments and upgradable weapons and that sort of thing uh and then there was a sequel to that called blood money so uh menace was a fairly fairly conventional horizontally scrolling shooter so you'd move at a constant pace forwards in the same direction you work your way towards an end level boss defeat the boss and then move on to the next level um the power-up system in that one um certain enemies you would shoot um and if you destroyed a whole wave of them uh, they would drop a power-up box and the exact power-up that you would get from that box would depend on how many times you shot the power-up box so when it first popped out of the enemy it would just be worth points if you shot it a few times it would upgrade your gun if you shot it a few more times you might get homing missiles out of it if you shot it a few more times on top of that you might get outriders and all that sort of thing so um again there was a bit of a sort of risk and reward thing going on there and sort of ensuring that you had yeah yeah so so that worked really nicely um menace was another one that would upset me a bit as a kid because i just could not defeat the first boss in that game at all and i tried it again recently and you know what i still can't um (laughs) (laughs) but i but i still really like it because it's 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 got this really nice atmosphere to it again the kind of organic visuals are really cool um the ship design is nice it's got really great music Uh, blood money is one that i got on a little bit better with uh blood money it was supposedly the sequel to menace but it, it didn't really have very much to do with it at all it was just another shoot up by dma design um and what happened in blood money was uh, there were four stages you could go on the concept was that you were going on this space safari uh, and uh, you could you could pilot one of these various vehicles through this safari thing and you had the opportunity to blast away enemy things uh, as you were going through um, but the twist in that one is that you could earn money as you were going through so destroying certain enemies would cause them to drop coins which would would fall off the screen and you could grab those and at various stages throughout the levels there were bases you could land at and upgrade your weapons um and uh but again in this one if you died you would lose all of those upgrades so everything you'd paid for with all the money you would lose all of them and go back to your basic gun oh wow. um That's to harsh. make things yeah it is harsh to make things a little bit easier on the net it wasn't one hit kills and that you did have uh, like a, an energy bar it was still only like five hits before you got destroyed but um yeah it, it, it did take a little bit of the pressure off but yeah that was one that i really liked because that placed a very strong emphasis on the environmental navigation technically speaking that one isn't just a horizontally scrolling game because it also goes vertically and diagonally a bit as well oh okay um it sort of takes you on on kind of a guided tour of these levels basically around various different routes um but yeah that that was a game that i really liked uh, and that still plays really well today um I, I i booted that one up the other evening and it's it's still really fun to play uh, it's the only game i've ever seen that boasts proudly on the box that it's running at 16 frames a second <laughs> Uh, although interestingly uh, different parts of the game are running at different speeds so the the actual player ship is running at 50 frames a second but the background and the enemies are running at 16 frames a second so what that means is you've got lovely fluid movement on your ship uh, but the 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 background movement is moving very gently and slowly and it's moving slowly enough that that 16 frames a second frame rate doesn't look jerky Mm -hmm. um still yeah it's it's very deliberate and sort of uh i wouldn't say sedate because you're blasting things out of the sky and so on but it's yeah it's 
it's got a very a very distinctive feel to it that i really like um it's not quite like a lot of games that i've played since it's it, it doesn't feel like a frantic shooter but it it has frantic elements to it so that's definitely one worth looking that also came out on amiga i think i don't think it got any console ports or anything like that so that's that's one you'll have to look into those 16-bit computers for mm-hmm. but yeah those those three games definitely zybex uh, menace and blood money those were some relatively early favorites of mine from the genre yeah, those sound really interesting. I, I really like to, specifically, I think it's really cool to look at, you know, these companies that we know now for particular types of games and, and go deep into their history and see that they made yeah. things that are totally unrelated. You know, it's pretty amazing yeah, I, to think of that, that 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 was DMA and who would eventually become... Well, this 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 is one of the things I've been really loving about doing the Atari 80Z videos. Is just doing a bit of research on the people behind these games. I don't know if you remember. Quite a while back now, I covered a game called Henri on the Atari 8-bit, which was a Mr. Do ripoff by a guy called yes. Adam Billiard. Adam Billiard, it turns out, was one of the founders of Criterion, and he invented the RenderWare engine. Huh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's pretty um, amazing. Yeah. So this this guy who who made a mr do clone to uh to yeah, pay for a flight back from a holiday uh, yeah he went on to make one of the most successful engines of the ps2 era and beyond so well on him <laughs> yeah yeah it's amazing to see you know even like the people who are famous who we all know just like to yeah. track you know when you think about like the the, the names that are always in you know like the cliff blazinskis and the john romero's of the world yeah. to to really track the evolution of like their beginnings doing like garage projects to like yeah. the, th- the things yeah. they've been i mean really when you think about the existence of the unreal engine mm-hmm. like <laughs> to tracking tracking you know where that came from to the people behind it and all of them just making dinky little side scrollers and shoot 'em yeah. ups for for home computers in their in their mom's basements. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I mean I you should see my note sheet for today. Like you can actually track when it began as organization and then devolved into madness. Um, because <laughs> because I started out with these really neat, clean, bulleted lists with like platform, then like two or three games, and then like an indented section of like what are some interesting things I like about those games, and then you can see the part where like it was like eleven thirty at night or like twelve <laughs> in the morning where I was pl- I was playing g- games or watching anime, and I just like went oh this game, and so then there's just, <laughs> so then there's just other titles scribbled in like diagonal and like weird angles in the margin with like exclamation points. Because like on, let's hear some then. All right, so well one of the exclamation point diagonal weird angle things is just Thunder Force exclamation mm-hmm. point. So we talked about Thunder Force. Uh, I wanted to talk about Einhender. Oh yes, yes. Because the PS One isn't really a system we associate with shoot 'em ups. I mean, there are noteworthy examples, but like Einhender is like the shoot 'em up on the PS One, as far as I'm concerned. Also yeah. weird because this uh, really we don't associate first party SquareSoft with shoot 'em ups, yeah. let yeah. alone shoot 'em ups of extraordinary quality. But they were SquareSoft was so experimental on the PS One, mm-hmm. and they had yeah. their hands in so many things. And um, Einhender is just this beautiful miracle of a game that I just can't get enough of. Um, so Einhender was a shoot 'em up on horizontal shoot 'em up on the PS One for uh, by Square 
Squaresoft at the time, before Square Enix was a thing. Um, the conceit of Einhender being that you are this ship who has uh, a mechanical hand that hangs underneath it. And the primary mechanical hook is that the enemies, um, many of the enemies you'll encounter as you fly through the levels have different weapons uh, that are like pintle mounted, like cannons and Gatling guns and lightning cannons and rocket launchers. Um, if you defeat an enemy carrying one of those pintle mounted weapons, the weapon actually bounces off of them and starts falling down. You can then swoop your ship down, grab that weapon with your claw, and then use that weapon. Mm-hmm. So, and then throughout the game, there you can unlock different ships that have different abilities in terms of how they handle and juggle those weapons. So, like, there's one ship that can only carry one weapon. That's, like, playing hard mode when you're playing that ship. There's another ship that can carry one weapon and flip that weapon onto his back, then freeing the claw up to carry a second weapon. There's a a different ship that can mount one to his back, firing backwards to protect yourself from behind. So Mm -hmm. there's all these different ways you can play with these different weapons you pick up. And just to me, Einhander was hugely impactful because, as I mentioned, uh, growing up, I was always just enamored with horizontal shooters, specifically from like a visual and presentation standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Einhander is really the first fully polygonal 3D horizontal shooter that I can remember playing. Not to, yes. not to say it's the first one I ever played, but it's the first one I can vividly remember. Mm-hmm. So just the environments as you like swoop through them and you know you're always playing on the same 2d plane but always uh, what i love about two uh 2d plane on 3d graphics is the ability to to have these amazing presentations while still staying constrained to the classic 2d gameplay so yeah definitely um you know the scale of the bosses destructible environments like all this became possible with the addition of the polygonal graphics <laughs> so uh, einhander just always stands out to me as this game that was iconic for me growing up yeah yeah i'd also like to give a shout out to square enix for actually making einhander into a boss in final fantasy 14 as, oh um, i remember you telling me about that yeah there's the, the one of the one of the final dungeons of um a realm reborn uh, it's last patch 2.5 uh, so before it moved on to Heavensward, there's a dungeon called uh, Keeper of the Lake. Okay. And um, a, a significant part of that dungeon is you sort of working your way around Imperial Magitek stuff. And one of the Magitek things that they've got in there is uh, Einhander, who oh, is, 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 is working as you would expect. So he, he, it shows up and it sort of picks things up and throws them at you and picks up weapons and starts firing things and setting the stage on fire and all sorts so yeah when when that came out everyone just lost their shit because everyone was like oh up until that point they had thought that square enix had completely forgotten about iron hander oh for sure so to get it acknowledged like this in a game that to date has been sort of square enix going hey do you remember (laughs) yeah it was it was just a, a really great moment for for everyone involved well, I think that's one of the things that's really interesting to talk about when we talk about Einhender is that, that Square does seem to have forgotten about it. Like, if there was ever a game that was ripe for an HD reboot for like, as like a downloadable title yeah, on like modern definitely. consoles, like yes, please make a new Einhender. It was just a singular thing. 
It happened. It was brilliant. They never milked it for sequels. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just so weird. Yeah. No, I mean, they didn't even try to follow up on in, like, the PS2 era when no. there were still a fair few shoot-em-ups going on, weren't there? So, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's surprising, really. But, um, yeah. I mean, that, that acknowledgement in Final Fantasy XIV shows that there is at least someone in Square Enix who remembers it and is fond of it. So, yeah. But, uh, whether that will lead to anything else in the future, who knows? But, uh, yeah. But yeah, that was really cool. Um, other ones in the, in the PS1 era, there was that R-Type game, wasn't there? Was it R-Type Final on PS1? Uh, Final was, was on PS2, uh, Delta. Delta, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, I remember playing that a bit on PS1, and that was that was very cool. Yeah, and um, of course Thunder Force 5. Yes, yes. Um, one that I'm aware of, but to my shame, have never played. Yeah, same, uh, same here, is... I've actually never... Thunder Force 5 was one of those games where I missed the... Um... That was actually one of those games, uh, in the US at least, that was published by Working Designs, mm. had, an, had an offshoot title, an offshoot brand that was specifically targeted, because Working Designs was always known for RPGs, yes. so they had, a, they had an offshoot brand that they specifically had for arcade stuff, like not story-heavy stuff, it was called Spaz. Yeah. Um, and so Thunder Force 5 was one of those games that Spaz published. And yeah. it was a beautiful package with a hollow foil cover yeah. and it's like salivating. But I, I, I did not get it. I, I didn't get a chance to get it. So That's then I why always... I've never played it. That's why I've never played it. It's because it was a beautiful package by Working Designs and we didn't get any of the beautiful packages by Working Designs over here. There you go. That's why. <laughs> so there we um, go. So I always said to myself, screw it. I'm going to import the Saturn version. And mm-hmm. then I just then then I just never did. Yeah. So because to me Thunder Force means Sega, so I always wanted to have the import yeah. Saturn version, and then I just never got around to it. So no, I've, I've also never played it. I don't know how it is. I don't know how it stacks up to the other ones. Yeah, it's funny how you come to associate certain games with certain platforms, isn't it? I mean, I mean, Thunder Force it sort of makes a certain amount of sense, doesn't it? With because the majority of the games are on Sega platforms, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no reason why it should be a Sega game, but it it just yeah, it just feels right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'll you know, like I said, I just have two, three, and four on the mm. on the gen on the Genesis. So to me, like Thunder Force is a Sega game. Yeah, and there's just did- something so specific about the um, the music in Thunder Force coming out of the FM sound chip on yes. the Mega Drive. That like yeah. I like to me, that's Thunder Force. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I didn't play Thunder Force Two until quite recently, and I was really surprised by some of the things it did in that that were later abandoned for three and four, like the top. Oh, the weird, segments. the weird top-down base raids. Yeah, and I was like, "Wow, this is this is really cool." <laughs> yeah. So Thunder Force Two, for those that have not played it, um, every level alternates. So the every the first level uh, are these big open field. Uh, vertical shooting levels but when i say vertical shooting levels they're not auto scrolling vertical shmups like what we would normally talk about they're free roaming so you can act you can go in all directions up down left right and the idea is that there are bases scattered across the map with turrets protecting them and you have to take all these bases down and then there's a main base and the idea is when you defeat the main base, you fly inside of it, and then the horizontal levels are the raids against the base that yeah. you destroyed in the vertical levels. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty cool and pretty ambitious. 
yeah definitely, uh, definitely. for its time but as pete mentioned um three four five all that only was a uh, thing in two mm -hmm. yeah um but it was really really neat um the genesis in general uh uh biohazard battle was really mm -hmm. cool um yep. weird organic ship and enemy designs yeah um i know you're a fan of arrow flash arrow flash yeah i'm a big fan of that arrow flash um i i love whip rush it's just weird and clunky and the soundtrack hurts your ears but it's awesome <laughs> um genesis got a pretty good port of hellfire which was uh -huh. a really interesting game where your um your shots went had you had shots that could go in very various directions yeah so um you would get a sh shot that could go all four ways around your ship or two ways forward um but really the the pc engine and arcade versions of hellfire are where it's at yeah um, so so tell me tell me a bit about the pc engine because i i know you've got a lot more experience with this than me and that my experience with pc engine is practically zero so, so yeah, yeah tell me tell me a bit about some highlights from the pc engine library then so the PC Engine is essentially, uh, or, or TurboGrafx-16, depending on your region, but um, I think a lot of a lot of collectors focus on the Japanese, specifically the PC Engine, because the, the breadth of games, it was uh, far more successful in Japan than it was in Western territories. So most collectors just go straight for the Japanese PC Engine and the Japanese cards. Um, but many people consider the PC Engine to be like the shooter system. Mm -hmm. Like, it's insane the extent to which like a large percentage of games for the PC Engine are shooters. Yeah. Like, I would say twenty five percent. Like, mm -hmm. it, it may be more. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, you can't you can't collect for the PC Engine and not just like hit your head on shooters at all times <laughs> but, but both vertical and horizontal some of them really weird some of them super conventional um i had highlighted a couple weird ones that i like um because part of um the pc engine in many ways also kind of achieves what you were talking about with the old with those older home computer games in that there are so many of them that not all of them are worth playing some of yeah. them are just super generic and they're kind mm -hmm. of cynical cash-ins but um I'm a big fan of when shooters have a weird or non-conventional visual presentation or mm -hmm. theme. So one of my all-time favorites uh, is Koryun, Child of Dragon. Okay. And this is a horizontal shooter where you are an, you are an adorable little chibi dragon. <laughs> flying through a fantasy world trying to save the adorable princess who is your friend. And you're just like fighting adorable monsters that you feel really bad for blasting because they all have like big bulging adorable anime eyes bright colors everywhere sweet upbeat music and what's really cool about koryun is um it's one of those shooters where if you are shooting rapid fire it's fine um but if you release the rapid fire button you charge a stronger attack oh i love um that. yeah and because you're a little dragon, the char like, all your attacks are your breath, yeah. right? Your 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 different breath. Um, so when you release the fire button, and this is all we, I can just see it, and it's making me smile. His little cheeks puff up because because <laughs> he, he's building up a big fireball <laughs> to release. So I, I love that game. And when we're talking PC Engine, we're talking collector's market. So like. 
if I go on eBay right now and look up a copy of Coriune, I'm willing to bet we're looking at at least a hundred dollars. Mm. Yeah. We are, in fact, looking at five to seven hundred dollars or a thousand for a shrink-wrapped copy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. So, <I'm, laughs> so yeah, this is a, this game is tremendous on the collector's market. Um. There's a homebrew reproduction that's going for a hundred. I'm seeing cart. I'm seeing card only copies. Um, so uh, games on the PC engine were on these little credit cards uh, yeah. style cartridges, not cartridges or discs. Um, until there was a disc system later, but yeah, um, card only copies three hundred dollars plus. Jesus. <laughs> so this is the world of PC Engine. Um, mm -hmm. Another of the most famous PC Engine horizontal shooters is Magical Chase. Yep. Which is an adorable, cute, side-scrolling shoot-em-up where you're a little witch on a broom. Um, and it's delightful. And what's cool about Magical Chase is, much like uh, Sega's Fantasy Zone, there's a little shop where you can buy power-ups with the points you've earned. But yeah. yeah, Magical Chase complete in box. I'm looking at $699. Um, Magical Chase, the American version, there's a copy on eBay right now for, and I shit you not, $15,000 <laughs> for a com complete mint-in-box copy of the American release of Magical Chase. Fifteen thousand oh. dollars. I laugh, but this is taking the piss, really, isn't it? It's ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there's no, there's no copies for less than two hundred dollars for for card only. Yeah. Even the Windows PC version, the Japanese Windows PC version, is going for four hundred and seventy-seven dollars. Yeah. So yeah, Magical Chase, pretty cool, but you'll never play it, not on an emulator, unless you've got $15,000. <laughs> I could get a car, an automobile, a functional automobile. Yeah, I, I'm just looking now, There's, there is a homebrew reproduction version of it, complete in box, but reproduction, for £88.71. Yes. <laughs> Although, so, you, can get the, you can get the Game Boy version for 10 99 Oh, it's probably garbage, <laughs> but... So, let's talk horizontal shoot-em-ups for the PC Engine that you can afford. Um, Airzonk is awesome. Airzonk uh -huh. is a spin-off of Bonk, mm -hmm. um, which is was kind of always the PC Engine slash TurboGrafx mascot, little caveman with a big head. Yeah. Um, so, Airzonk is like the futuristic version of Bonk, where he's a cyborg instead of a caveman and he's a, and it's a shooter yeah and um it's just goofy like all the enemies are goofy and uh you get like options that like wingmen or whatever sidearms or whatever you want to call them and uh before each level you pick the one you have and they're all ridiculous cartoon characters mm -hmm. and one of the power-ups you get fuses Airzonk with the wingman and then, like, you get a weird different form. So, like, Airzong's kind of famous because one of the fusions is uh, one of the one of the sidearms you can pick is a little robot cow. <laughs> and if you fuse with the little robot cow, Airzong cross dresses and has like <laughs> lipstick on and like and like and like and like sticks his bust out and he just has and he just has these giant like robot milk jug boobies that he shoots <laughs> that he shoots like missiles and then the milk explodes and does splash damage 
Oh my god! So I wouldn't get away with that today. <laughs> yeah. So, def- so definitely look forward to finding footage of Airzong for the video version yeah. of this. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah. I'm looking it's forward del- to it. It's already. delightful. I'm lucky enough to have a copy of Arizonk, the CD version. Oh, nice. Um, it's it's just incredible. Um, uh, Power Gate is a pretty cool, just like straight military, like no sci-fi. Like you're just actual like fighter jets, like and mm-hmm. like the enemies are like tanks and like satellite yeah. planes and stuff. So that's always cool when that happens. I know a lot of people have fond memories of Area 88, the Area 88 game on. Yes. Um, on the Super Nintendo, which was a UN squadron yes, in Western yes. territories. Um, that's always cool when it's an actual grounded military theme. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm very fond of... Oh, let me see here. Arrow Blasters, mm-hmm. which is uh, just... Once again, nothing really special about it or its gameplay, but it has a really cool, bright-colored, super anime and infused sci-fi presentation um so it's just another great example um violent soldier is another game that was pretty popular um that was popular on the pc engine but i think that also had some home computer ports and stuff Mm -hmm. um uh violent soldier was a game that my friends and i used to refer to as beak fucker um (laughs) so so your ship has this beak on it um the you and you open the beak one of the you know, the secondary fire button opens the beak like a bird would, yeah. um, which the openness of the beak varies the concentration and power of your shot. Mm-hmm. So, like, cl- closed beak is a single bullet forward of more power. Fully open beak is, like, five bullets at a time, but all of reduced power. Yeah. So, like, you're, you're always trying to, like, situationally govern which is more appropriate for the types of enemies you're fighting. Yeah. Um, really, so, really cool. Slightly, slightly different mechanics. Just, just a really good game. Cool. Um, so, yeah, PC Engine is, like, the shooter's heaven. Um, yeah. Ra- Rabio Lepis Special. <laughs> a shoot a shooting game where you are a adorable robot bunny that shoots ca- uh, missiles shaped like carrots. <laughs> <laughs> the, this is the magic of the PC engine. Um, just wonderful stuff. Um, I had a few games too for the Neo Geo. Um, okay. I wanted to I wanted to quick mention just. Um, I think everyone knows this game at this point, and you can get it on Steam now as one of those emulated Neo Geo titles. But if you've never played Blazing Star. You mu- everyone needs to play Blazing Star. Yes, yes. Um, Blazing Star is just the Neo Geo, like flexing all of its muscles to be just the most beautiful shooter. It's uh, normally I'm not a fan of pre-rendered sprites, but because um, Blazing Star has such an anime aesthetic, the pre-rendered sprites aren't really ugly. Um, so it's just this gorgeous, bombastic shooter with a huge focus on presentation and um one of the things that made it so amazing was um it almost felt like a fighting game in the sense that there was a a ship select screen with loads of characters and every ship had has different shot patterns so you know one of the things that a lot of shooters horizontal shooters it's just like one ship and uh varied shot patterns based on kind of power-ups you pick up but um with Blazing Star, you were picking a different character. That character has his own unique shot patterns that just power up to scale as you collect power-ups. So 
uh, coming from a background of usually expecting horizontal shoot 'em ups to only have one character, um, it was almost like when you play Blazing Star, it's like getting multiple games in one because because yeah. you have all these different ships to try out. Um, gr- it's great, and that was te- technically Blazing Star is considered a spinoff of Polestar which was one of the earliest shooters on the Neo Geo, which is mostly just a very beautiful R-Type ripoff. Yeah. But but then the ship from Polestar is playable in Blazing Star. Yeah. So if you want to have like a traditional R-Type style shot pattern, you can pick the Blazing the the Polestar ship in Blazing Star. Mm-hmm. Just just wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful stuff. Um, Last Resort is just a oh, really Oh, yeah, cool- wait, 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 wait. Hold on a minute. Are you going to talk about Blazing Star without talking about the text in it? <laughs> oh, like, oh, like a, a huge boss approach. <laughs> because I don't think I don't think we can pass by Blazing Star without acknowledging uh, the glorious English. Oh, it's uh, the most English game possible. Yeah. The best part, the best part is when you collect the score power-ups and the voice says bonus, but yeah. it sounds like boners. Boners. So it's like a th- like a million times boners boners <laughs> and like oh s- select your machine like oh yeah just yeah, yeah. like I, warning a huge boss approach is, 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 I, I, is, I think i think dangerous pay attention to backward cannot be beaten <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's one of like the primary examples well uh horizontal shooters in general are famous for their english right like every you know um zero wing is like the most famous english yeah. game of all time also a horizontal shooter yeah right yeah, it's true. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have passed up the opportunity <laughs> to talk about boners. <laughs> Sorry, uh, you were saying last resort. <laughs> oh yeah, so like, there's last resort, which is just a really cool, like grim, dark, like uh, uh, futuristic setting with lots of like sepia tones. It's just the visual design is really cool. A brutal level of challenge. Yeah. Um, Zed Blade. Um, was a really kind of fast-paced horizontal shooter for the Geo, where like the conceit was like the enemy, that the enemies were like disguising themselves as the like the background elements. So you'd be yeah. like flying by like a base, and then like the like the the blocks that made the base up would transform into enemies and like come out and like surprise attack you. So like really just some really cool conceits there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just like I said, could list titles all day. It's yeah. just a beautiful varied genre with so many wonderful entries um border down did you ever play border down this was a dreamcast era late dreamcast no i don't think so but i know you're a big fan of that definitely yeah border down's a really interesting game uh because the way border down plays is it's uh you start every level has um three variations in difficulty there's an easy version of the level a hard version of the level and a medium version of the level and it's almost like sonic cd yeah so like the the depending on which border you're on which version of that stage you're on difficulty wise there's also there's different enemies different enemy patterns variations in the way the background is presented um so you start each level on the easiest one and then if you die, it forces you to the harder one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, it's, it's very interesting. But um, there's lots of variation in what you get to see. Because mm-hmm. depending on your performance, you'll get to see different versions of the levels. Which is really, really cool. Yeah. 
Um, I just it just occurred to me this this is going back in time a little bit, but I've, it, it just occurred to me that there's one I wanted to mention that I didn't mention, which is um, one that I doubt many people have heard of because it was an Atari Lynx exclusive. Oh my! Um, which is uh, Gates of Zendicon. Um, Gates of Zendicon. What a wonderful title! Yeah, Gates of Zendicon was a great horizontal shoot 'em up, and it, it, again, it was one of those games that was kind of, kind of had a mediocre reception back back when it was released because we was it, this was released in 1989, so we were still in sort of full on shooter saturation stage at the minute, so people were a bit cynical about it. But if you return to it today, it's a really cool shoot 'em up with some nice ideas. So um, it was a horizontally scrolling shoot 'em up with a reasonably sedate pace of scrolling, uh, but it also had um, it had levels that were taller than the screen so you could like uh you could move up and down and it was oh i love that um you also had a really interesting weapon as well so rather than firing bullets out you had a laser that when you fired it 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 just drew a line across the screen straight away so like it was a proper sort of light speed laser um and that made that made for sort of a really interesting satisfying feel uh, for destroying the enemies, um, and it had some other interesting ideas in it as well. Because uh, it wasn't uh, it wasn't one hit kills, but if you got hit by um, if you got hit by an enemy or a bullet or something like that, like a bit would fall off your spacecraft, uh, and that would mean that like one of your weapons wouldn't work or something like that. So you, your oh, laser me. would fall off, and you'd only be able to like fire missiles or something for a little while. So yeah, it was really good, um, and it was really big as well. I mean, like we tend to associate a lot of shoot 'em ups with being quite short these days because they they tend to focus on the score attack side of things. Uh, but Gates of Zendikon had fifty one levels. Oh jeez. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I never got to the end of it, um, and it's one of those games that was probably longer than the Lynx's battery life was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I still have very embittered memories of getting right to the end of Gauntlet 3 on the Lynx uh, on on a road trip back from my grandparents and my batteries running out as I was about to finish it. Um, but yeah, Gates of Zendicon would have been uh, in a similar situation. But you could always play it on the AC adapter anyway. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really cool game. Um, it had lots of sort of branching routes through the levels. There were uh, sort of secret passcodes you could find to start at later levels. Um the only unfortunate thing about mentioning this today is that Lynx emulation is not very good, so it's very oh. difficult. It's very difficult to play this game these days. Uh, you can just about get it running, uh, but most Lynx emulators I've tried um, to date, they really mess up the sound. And a big part of the appeal of Gates of Zendikon is it had a really good soundtrack as well. The Atari Lynx didn't have an amazing sound chip. It was it was quite similar to. Um, sort of contemporary handhelds at the time so very, a very similar sort of PSG chip to what you'd find in like the Game Gear and the Game Boy um, but the, the compositions of the music were really good in that game but unfortunately a lot of the emulation seemed to mess that side of things up quite a bit so you can't really appreciate it fully sadly um, so here's but yeah. something interesting so I, I went I looked that game up because I'd, I'd never heard of it because I was never a big Atari guy but um, mm-hmm. so the developer of Gates of Zendikon was Epix yes um, so, uh, you, like, what, everything you're describing to me, I'm like, this sounds so ambitious for a Lynx game. Uh-huh. Um, and the reason why is because Epic's developed the Lynx. Yes, yes, So, so yes. They, they knew how to take advantage of the hardware. <laughs> like, they, they licensed it to Atari. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Epic's played a, a massively key role in, in the Lynx, which is why there's so many Epic's games on the Lynx. 
Um, I don't know what happened to Epics offhand. It's not something I've really looked into, but they, they were huge in like the 8 and 16-bit era. They did loads and loads of stuff, and they had a really interesting method of marketing their stuff as well. Mm. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with their old stuff, but they, they would actually market stuff specifically um, based on the sort of balance between uh, thoughtful gameplay and action gameplay. So okay. like you would you would get an Epic's game and they had a very sort of standardized box that had this really cool sort of neon design to it. Uh, so they had black boxes and like the artwork was all done as if it was like a, a sort of neon sign, basically. Uh, yeah, I remember California game. games. Yeah, um, but in the corner there would be a series of little icons. There would be like um, uh, some depictions of like Rodin's The Thinker for sort of strategic and thoughtful games or a joystick if it was an action game. And there were like some games that would have a mix of them and it was yeah it was they were a really interesting publisher and i don't know what happened to them and it's uh, quite a shame really but yeah as you say they they played a key role in developing the links which is why they were able to get such good results out of it definitely very cool all right uh with that in mind uh, we are pushing in on the hour but there's still a couple of games i want to mention should we talk a little <laughs> bit about about uh, a few modern releases yeah, yeah, I do. I want to hear about some of these because I know you've had some really good experiences with quite a few of them, and I, yeah. I have yet to play many of them, even though I want to. Yeah, definitely. So I've, uh, I won't bring up too many, um, but and I've already mentioned Devil Engine, which you should definitely check out without without question. That is an absolute masterpiece. Um, a couple of others that I would like to bring up are by a developer called Astroport. Mm -hmm. yeah, uh, so, there's, so there's two in particular there's one called Cetasius uh, which was published by Capcom oddly enough mm -hmm. um, I don't really know how that came about but yeah they excuse me, they published that one um, Cetasius is basically uh, a Gradius game um, it, it, it's not trying to hide that at all um, it's, it's sort of um, sort of going through horizontally scrolling levels collecting weapons, upgrading your ship as you go through gradually building yourself into a force of unstoppable death and destruction and then bumping into a boulder and losing everything um, <laughs> <laughs> it's always a goddamn meteor yeah um but yeah satasis has got some really nicely scripted moments in it so like there's um there's like sequences where uh you're, you're being chased by a boss down a tunnel so you need to make sure you take the right routes down the tunnel and um like you can't shoot it while it's behind you and that sort of thing so there's some really cool moments in that um that that's a very good one it's very cheap on steam i think it's pc only uh, i don't believe you can get that on console so yeah uh, all those astroport games never yeah. made it out out of pc yeah uh one really interesting one is zangeki warp uh which is basically uh quite similar to satasius in a lot of ways and certainly in terms of presentation it's quite similar but it's it's unique mechanic uh, well not really unique because they either pinched it from velocity or velocity pinched it from them one or the other uh, but you have a teleport system in this where you can uh, basically draw a line from where you are on the screen uh, let go uh, and your ship will instantly phase through anything on the screen and reappear at the end of where you, wherever you drew the line so um, there are a lot of sequences throughout the levels where there's seemingly impassable walls so you have to phase through walls and and that sort of thing and position yourself in in specific places to um to keep yourself safe uh, and it also makes good use of that in boss fights and stuff as well so you'll, you'll you'll have sequences like where a boss is coming straight for you and the boss is so big that you wouldn't be able to dodge out of the way so what you have to do is while it's flying towards you is phase through it uh so you're behind it and then phase back through it again when it starts coming back the other way so there's some really cool mechanics in that it's, it's a very simple idea and once you get your head around that basic phasing system then yeah it's incredibly satisfying game 
Um, it sounds like the kind of mechanic that I would just keep forgetting was there. <laughs> and, and keep dying and getting pissed. It, like, it, I'm so bad with games like that, yeah. with a unique mechanic like that, and then I forget the mechanic exists. It, it doesn't really let you forget. With the, with, with, with the way the levels are designed, it, it never really lets you forget that it's there, because there's so many sequences where, in a conventional shoot-em-up, it would just be a complete dead end. There, yeah, there, there yeah. are loads of sequences where there's just like just like obviously a wall in front of you and there's a hole on the other side of the wall that your ship could obviously fit into uh and so th- it's just set up in such a way that it's very difficult to forget that that mechanics there but obviously in the heat of a boss fight is a different matter but um yeah, yeah definitely now doesn't doesn't zangeki warp also have like a really like disturbing biomechanical like overall presentation like oh, almost God, yeah. like yeah. Oh, like techno yeah. like techno horror almost like everything's oh, yeah. just like orange and rusty and like covered in meat yeah <laughs> like, yeah it's 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 horrific um in the best possible way so yeah if you, if you like that kind of sort of bioorganic look then um then yeah you'll definitely get a kick out of this one uh, both um both Zangeki Warp and uh, Cetazius, uh, your first impressions of them might be that they're a little bit drab because they're not very brightly coloured or anything like that. But once you see them in motion and like the the smoothness and the slickness of the animation and so on, it it kind of makes sense with the atmosphere of it as well. Particularly when you take into account the music as well, it's got quite an unusual sort of uh, very heavy industrial soundtrack to them as well. Mm. So they have a very distinctive feel to them. It's not really trying to be something else. Uh, I I mean I, I know I've said Cetazius is is Gradius, but um, yeah, it's it's got its own identity. It's like, it plays like Gradius, but it's got it's very much got its own visual identity certainly and, and, right, right. and musical identity. Um, I think only other one I wanted to bring up uh, was uh, a bullet hell game, uh, a horizontally scrolling bullet hell game, uh, which we haven't really got into today. But um, mm. uh, Gundamonium. Is. Oh yeah, you love those. Yeah, yeah. so particularly, yeah, I, I I actually picked up Gundemoniums on Vita a while back and haven't had a chance to try it yet. So uh, I'm largely going to go from my experience with the PC games at this point, uh, with, of which my favourite is Gundemonium Recollection, which is the first one. Um, what I really like about this is it's it's got that sort of environmental thing that we're talking about. So each level very much feels like a journey through things, and it's uh, the backgrounds in that game move like that. at an absolutely astonishing speed. So. It, the, the whole thing is designed to sort of be really, really in your face in terms of uh, sort of um, making you feel like it's taking you on this sort of roller coaster ride through these environments. Um, because it's a bullet hell game, it's got some interesting mechanics. You've got quite a large character sprite in this, but a very, again, a very small and in this case visible hitbox. Um, so you, there's uh, a strong emphasis on things like grazing bullets to build up multipliers and stuff like that. Uh, a lot of bullet patterns are sort of um, fulfilling the function that kind of environmental challenges in other horizontal scrollers would do. So, for example, there's there's a sequence in one of the levels where there's a bunch of cannons appear down the side of the screen and they fire, um, they basically fire pathways of bullets. Uh, and so rather than just jod- dodging them as if they're individual bullets, you, it's as if you're flying through a cavern almost that just happens to be made of bullets. And there's lots of really interesting ideas, some really cool boss fights. Um, again, it's got a, a, an interesting um, sort of weapon system in this. So you can either play with a default character or there's a fully customizable character where you can tweak uh, their basic weapon, their bomb, and their magical attack to work in different ways. So um, 
there's there's like one bomb that's like a big chain gun that fires out in front of you there's this one bomb that's like a, a sort of conventional screen clearing one there's a magical attack that when it hits things it will slow down everything on screen and make things a little bit easier for you for a few seconds um lots of really interesting mechanics in there absolutely beautiful presentation amazing soundtrack um and uh, a really interesting sort of um techno western vibe to it which i really I like. noticed that yeah so and, so and cute cute and cute girls yeah cute girls it's it, it's it's flying cute magical girls combined with techno western and steampunk and it's it's a it's a bizarre yeah, that combination. sounds terrible but it's uh it yeah. sounds definitely like not a bulleted list of some of my favorite things <laughs> Yeah, so so definitely, uh, as a bullet hell game, that is quite a different experience to a lot of the other games that we've described today. Um, but but it has elements of those games as well, so it's definitely worth a look. Yeah. Um, it's not an easy game, but in terms of other bullet hell games, I'd say it's probably quite an accessible one because it's got a dynamic difficulty level thing where it gets easier if you mess things up. Uh, it's novice level; it actually limits the maximum difficulty it will build up to if you're doing well as well. So you can oh, kind of good. you can kind of ease yourself into the more significant challenges as you go through. And so, I, unlike Border Down, it does not punish you for being no. bad at it. <laughs> Border Down's like you're bad at this game; be prepared to get worse. Border Down, and there's like a big red text that comes up, it's like you don't fucked up. Border Down. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah, so those are the main ones I wanted to bring up uh, from sort of the modern perspective. He heavy emphasis on Devil Engine because that's magnificent. Um, mm. Asterbreed as well. Asterbreed's kind of a funny one because it's it's not quite what we're talking about here. It's more of a sort of cinematic spectacle shooter with because it's got 3D segments. It's got vertical scrolling segments as well. But I do want to acknowledge it as well because it is one of my favorite shooter maps. Yeah, uh, it's a neat game. Yeah, it's a beautiful presentation in that game. Again, amazing music, amazing soundtrack. Really cool, interesting story um, that sort of tells the kind of epic story you'd expect from like a lengthy 50-hour RPG in the space of about 20 minutes. So it moves at <laughs> a pretty breakneck pace. But um, uh, And also giant robots. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping for the uh, physical version of the Switch version yes. now because uh, limited run did do a pressing of the ps4 version mm -hmm. um like two years ago yeah so now that it's on switch i'm hoping they can partner up with edelweiss again and get that get yeah that moving because yeah. i missed it and I'd, I'd love to have it on the switch mm. yeah yeah it is a great game okay i think that's everything i want to mention so do you have anything you want to bring up last of all like i said man i could list games <laughs> upon games but i think I think we've gone over an hour just, just <laughs> listing listing horizontal shmups, so we can always do a, a second edition later. Yep. All right, let's call that a day there then. So, would you like to tell people where to find you and your art on the internet? Absolutely. You can always find me at uh, MrGilderPixels.com or uh, Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram is MrGilderPixels. Um, always publishing new stuff, and I love to hear from everybody. So uh, give, me a, give me a look and give me a follow and a retweet which is always very helpful smashing right and of course you can find me on moegamer.net uh, you can also find my atari a to z videos on youtube and at atari a to z.wordpress.com uh, both of those sites have their own twitter accounts uh, so please feel free to follow either or both of those if you would like to chat with me i'm using both of them actively now so um, if i don't respond on one feel free to yell at the other one um stuff going out on youtube most days uh if you're listening to this podcast on soundcloud don't forget there's a video version that you can enjoy as well if you're watching the video version don't forget that there is an audio version on soundcloud as well <laughs> um 
yeah i think that's everything so uh until next time i guess we'll see you next time around Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>